Hello and welcome to the Tech Gaming Podcast, episode 16-2. I am your host, Robert Desert Eagle Allen. With me, as always, is the man who is most definitely not on the Nintendo payroll. I'm talking about Game Byte's own, Jeremy Lamont. Hey, Deagle, how's it going there? Uh, I guess my uh, my reputation as a, uh, a Nintendo realist precedes me. <laughs> okay. We also have Blue Swim TV's host and resident anti connoisseur, Eric Blue Swim. Good evening, everybody. What's new in H-World? Um, well, the Predators, I, the NHL team here in Nashville is in the Stanley Cup and they tied the series up. So I'm doing pretty damn good, I guess. Okay. So one of the things we got was a, um, somebody asked me, uh, wrote a letter asking if the site's name is Tech Gaming, why there's not just pure technology talk. So I want to get a little bit of that out of the way. Uh, in the interest of that, I'll talk briefly about some of my latest interests. Um, so if you go to Japan, one of the things that you'll see are uh, plenty of what are called denshiri and mamashiri. And the former is an abbreviation, dendo jintensha, which is an electric bike. The second one, as you can probably guess uh, from the prefix, is made for women. So it usually has a grocery basket in the front and a small <laughs> seat for a child in the back. Although I that's did, what we, see- that's what we call the bitch seat. Oh, <laughs> Jeremy, <laughs> first edit of the show, right there. Although I did see one with uh, with space for two kids once, but that's a rarity in Japan. So if you hop on one, there's three modes: regular bicycle pedaling, which isn't fun because these things are pretty heavy tanks. There's assisted pedaling, which typically kicks in at a at a certain speed and then turns off when when you stop uh, pedaling. Then there's full throttle. I prefer the latter, uh, with a bit of pedaling for quicker acceleration when you want to maintain a good coasting speed while saving some energy. I ended up I was a little tipsy, bought one, brought it home, which I do not recommend doing. Uh, if you live in the U.S., freight and customs are killers. Um, both of them, kind of a two-prong approach there. They have ones that were made uh, at Don Quixote by Panasonic, uh, Bridgestone, and Yamaha, which are really nice, but they're also really pricey. There is one that I found. I got one that's a 20-inch wheel and the ability to fold into a pretty compact size. And like a cell phone, battery is the determining factor. Mine has a removable one in the frame, and I've gone at least 20 miles without fully depleting the charge. Now, I am 6'4", 220, 220 pounds, so I'm not small, and I'm kind of surprised by the acceleration of some of those. Um, so, so big guy on a, on a flashy little electric bike grabs a lot of attention. And at least a couple times on even just a, just a short trip to the post office, I'm asked what it is and where did I get it. Fortunately, I found uh, what is a Chinese lookalike called the Anshir, which is available on eBay and Amazon. They're about $600, and they look just like the one I have, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, one of the things is the attention I got put me in contact with a Pasadena-based company. They're called Urbi, U-R-B apostrophe, which makes what is essentially a big rideable battery. When, it, when in folded form, it's a 30-pound kind of minimal build of aircraft-grade aluminum, wheels, and a seat. And when unfolded, it kind of looks like a clown bike. Um, <laughs> so despite the look... Uh, it's pretty fun to ride. It's not as easy as a bike. Uh, it has front front wheel acceleration. It can get a little squirrely. Uh, it's got these smallish non-inflatable tires that shake when you hit a bump in the road. But it's fairly fast at uh, 15 miles an hour, and it's supposed to get 16 miles out of a single charge. Uh, again, I haven't maxed that out. It can power, and this is kind of the interesting thing, it can power quite a few other devices as it has, I think, six 
USB ports on there. So what you can do is take out, yeah, you can take out the battery, and the battery is maybe half the size of a car battery, uh, and just put that on a table and have everybody plug in their USB there. Uh, mine was supposed to come with a standing kickstand and basket, but those weren't finalized yet. And while the, while the Denshiri is probably the easier ride, the Irby wins for compactness and functionality. So that's what I've been doing, is kind of wheeling around on those. Um, the other thing I want to talk about was a very nice person who reached out via LinkedIn. Her name is Pan, and she sent over a few items recently. Now, I, I know on another podcast I spoke about something called the My Fit Band, which is a Chinese Fitbit-style activity meter. And a few people posted things saying Chinese goods were inferior and told me to get the um, Nike Fitbit, the actual Nike Fitbit. To which I responded that, that Fitbits are actually made in China along with Apple Tech and a lot of other oh. quality goods. Yes, Roasted. Burn, uh, like Anchor. Uh, I'm a big fan of Anchor power banks. And to not be so judgy. So the company she works for, they're called IXCC. They sent me three things. They sent me just a uh, lightning cable, a thing called a vertical mouse, and a mini USB-C station. So a quick breakdown. I bought some really good lightning cables in Akiba a few years ago, and eventually one wasn't recognizing my iPad mini. It just kind of died. I didn't know if the problem was with the actual cable or the connector. Um, but luckily, the IXCC came in handy. It seems to work pretty good. Tight port connection, quality cable, and after two weeks, no issues. The vertical mouse, I'm not sure if you've seen these. They're an interesting design. It allows you to hold your hand sideways instead of palm down when you move the cursor around, when you're mousing around. And oh, that's interesting. Yeah, after two weeks of testing, it's held up well. It's wireless, uh, 2.4 gigahertz. But I have to admit, I went back to my old mouse because I never got accustomed to the arm angle. It just felt like you're holding like a real thick joystick and not not like a mouse. Um, but it worked It worked well if you're into that. Um, I feel like you should get like a real straight elbow brace for that so that you know the only thing you can do is just like... <laughs> pivot your shoulder a little bit (laughs) right (laughs) and connect it to some kind of optic sensor there so yeah. <laughs> you don't even need the mouse at all. Uh, the, the third product, the USB-C port, was actually a lifesaver. I purchased one uh, at one time. It was the cheapest one I could find on Amazon. And periodically, the USB would disconnect, uh, making that funny little window sound, which I can't stand whenever you plug in or unplug something. Uh, I swapped out the IXCC one, and there's no power delivery port uh, on that, so you don't get the USB-C power. But the three USB mm. 3.0 ports work great and uh, allow... I have a Samsung ProTab S, that's the Surface clone, that was built with only a single USB-C port to be functional now. So that's me on tech. So uh, just the, the USB-C is all keyed, right? So you're not doing the, uh, the like, five-attempt USB plug-in dance? No, I don't you're, do that right dance. You're right on your first try, right? Yeah. No. I did buy a desktop where it would periodically, and I think they solved it through drivers, it would unplug. But I never danced. It was more of a, a frustration. Like a wiggle? A, yeah, it was more of a handshake <laughs> out of frustration than anything else. Wringing hands? Yeah. Well, um, I'll, I'll, I'll go real quick. Uh, I, I really only have one technology that I want to talk about, and it is, uh, it, it, it's sort of like your uh, electric bikes, Robert, but it's the uh, penny farthing with a car battery attached to it. And uh, No, <laughs> yes. no. Uh, no, no penny bicycles. Um, actually, I am going to talk about something that is uh, a little bit old school because the other thing that I've gotten into this past year, uh, p- several months recently, uh, was um, vinyl records. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, as a lover of video game soundtracks, I have, uh, you, you know, I, I've collected those on, you know, the gray markets, the, uh, you know, the dark web sometimes. <laughs> uh, I've 
purchased them, purchased them from Amazon. I've uh, I've done the Bandcamp thing. I, I've done all of this, but uh, I, I have uh, made some kind of deal with the uh, the dark side and have somehow inexplicably found myself uh, into vinyl records. And uh, I don't know why. I don't know how. I'm gonna. I'm here to tell you that it is not the best format. Uh, it is not the most convenient, nor is it the best sounding, but. Hot damn, if they don't do some cool stuff with video game music on vinyl records. Um, so the interesting thing, where the tech comes in on this, so I, I did, uh, you know, in the last uh, year or so, get a, um, a turntable, an actual turntable, uh, and now they're all fancy. They have, like, USB inputs and stuff like that. But I, I'm just here to tell you that the, the most wired-for-sound product in my whole household is my turntable because I've got it uh, plugged into my surround sound system and then it has some speakers like built into it as well. So I technically have like a, what would, what would it be? Like a 7, 8.1 uh, surround sound system uh, to play records. And um, got that subwoofer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it'll it'll do all of that, man. I you know I've got like a little tone tone dial on there, and uh, I can I can definitely rock the uh, the chippy tune music. Uh, no, but uh, the the coolest thing about this is the technology that they brought to bear in vinyl records. I know that m- probably most of the people out there listening to this, at best, might remember their parents' you know black vinyls that they had when they yeah. were they were kids. Disco uh, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. For me, for my parents, it was John Denver and like Air Supply. I think. I'm we sorry. Yeah, we played a lot of those in the uh, in the Young Lamont household. But the the cool thing though is the technology that they're bringing to bear for for vinyl records. And um, you know, not not only are they doing like cool uh, like swirly wave patterns and splattery colors and things on the records themselves, Some really psychedelic looking stuff. Yeah, they're like really cool looking. Like they're really neat and like split colors and and things like that. But um, I want to tell you about like the coolest thing I think I've seen in vinyl records, which is an honest to god hologram that will come up off of the records. Uh, they did this for the soundtrack to uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, which, uh, as a movie, is somewhat lacking. Questionable at best. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but as a vinyl record, uh, <laughs> in pause. Skip form, the movie by the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. I I, I wonder if the uh, the popular opinion has really done the U turn that it needs on that movie because I haven't really seen a lot of people come to terms with that. But uh, anyway, not not a huge fan. But uh, the 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 record though, the music, the John Williams soundtrack. One thing that has always been unimpeachable about Star Wars is the yeah. music. Um, but on this record and the sound uh, effects. Oh, oh yeah, oh absolutely. You, if you get a, get a Wilhelm in there, absolutely, you, you got it made. Um, but on the record itself, they uh, there it's a it's a double LP, so they have two discs, and then on each one there's a B side that has a little bit of music around the outside edge. You know, you can kind of see the grooves that go around, but a big flat w- empty space in the middle. Uh, but it also, if you look at it, if you catch the light just right, it has like all these scratches in it, like little scuffs. And when you put it on the turntable, if the light is right, you can actually see a hologram image of the Millennium Falcon or of a TIE fighter that comes up off the disc and will literally rotate as the disc rotates. And that I, I want to describe how cool. <laughs> I want to describe how it works because I thought, oh my god, how did, how did they do this? And the secret is in all those little scratches because if you can imagine, imagine taking a handful of pencils 
and drawing something with them. And, you know, it'll, it'll sort of do in quadruplicate or whatever. It'll do all of these lines and, and it'll do these drawings. And they must have taken some kind of CAD program because what they've done is they've done etchings instead of drawing with pencils. They've done etchings all over the inside of this record. And they've made it so if you can imagine uh, on a CAD program sort of uh, drawing a, a Millennium Falcon from, from every angle. So it's like a swoopy rainbow drawing of this Millennium Falcon etched into the record so that when the light hits it, the individual little shines that shine in the grooves of, of that little etching leaps up off the record in sort of a, a, a hologram image of the TIE fighter or of the Millennium Falcon. And so it, it doesn't, it's not like a, a, an electronically or electricity generated image. It's actually just literally the, the shines of the light in these grooves brings up the illusion of this thing and it will rotate along with the record. Um, and, they should and, have and Princess that, Leia saying, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope. Oh, absolutely. That was they, the first thing I thought of when Jeremy mentioned that. So that, the thing is, though, that this is The Force Awakens. So if they do that with A New Hope, I'm sure they'll do something like that. But I just thought to myself, Hot damn, if that is not the pinnacle of all human technology. Um, Records. On, on a 40, yeah, on a 45. <laughs> the wax. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm not proud of it, uh, but I, ha- have cool. been, I, I have been doing a lot of it. And, uh, you know, the, like I said, the fact that uh, it is hooked into my surround sound system and I can listen to the, uh, you know, I, I don't know, the uh, soundtrack to Streets of Rage or something on my surround sound system. I, I think that's, uh, I'm not doing too bad as far as that goes, so. The big question is, how long until you get an actual original LP jukebox? Oh, man, I don't know. At the rate I'm going, it won't be long. <laughs> so that's my tech treat for this episode. And to be perfectly honest, I have nothing tech-worthy to contribute to this conversation. Any spinners, Blue? Um, <laughs> I, I still don't understand what the fuck is the appeal of those things. Yeah, you lost me. I, you know what? I my my children are into that stuff, so I, I can talk about that a little bit because apparently all the stuff that you learn on YouTube is good for something. Uh, apparently, <laughs> fidget spinners are good for for kids with uh, uh, ADHD and uh, slime is another big thing that's on YouTube. They teach kids how to make slime out of like uh, shaving cream and household goods. Uh, that's apparently soothing and and you know it's got that ASMR quality to it. So uh, I don't know. There's a whole there's a whole load of baloney on the internet. There's a whole cottage industry of trying to make something useful sound like it's good. Yeah sound like it's good for someone it is good for nothing all right good for nothing <laughs> good for nothing. so let's get yeah. uh, right into impressions so uh the first thing i want to talk about is a uh game i just started playing last week um called drifting lands and oh that's a, that's that car game i love that no it's not car drifting no no <laughs> so cynical gamers might say we've reached a point where everything's been done uh every every story is just a variation on an existing theme and the majority of game mechanics are already well established certainly there are times usually during the second day of e3 where i begin to feel that way um as sequel after sequel is described as revolutionary or something like a game changer but sometimes an inspired hybrid can can dispel the feeling that we've seen and played it all so my first game is definitely like that description it's an unlikely amalgam it blends the shoot 'em up and role-playing genres and before i talk about the game i want to discuss one thing and, and that's the role-playing descriptor I don't think it's really accurate anymore. Most games, whether it's a career mode in a sports game or even Gears of War, put players in the role of the protagonist. So when I think of role-playing, 
I'm thinking of these intricate stat-based systems which reflect kind of the tabletop roots of, of the genre. So I, I'd argue that role-playing is essentially about improvement to get a statistical advantage over enemies rather than just kind of immersing ourselves in the role of a protagonist. But I'm getting off on a tangent here. So, so that said, Drifting Lands takes the idea of the stat heavy approach and merges it with a shooter. In the build I was playing just before the the public the uh, release today, players have access to three chi- three different ships. Each has a bunch of different compartments where they could drop a weapon, uh, a shield, different pieces of armor, uh, even a pilot's helmet, thrusters. Uh, there's four purchasable abilities as well as two automatic perks. And not surprisingly, each of the three ship classes, they extend a different kind of balance between durability and maneuverability. I tried them all and easily adapted to each because there's not really a huge difference between between them. Uh, heading into Drifting Lands, the, the screen-based uh, kind of areas, the different components there, you'll head into the hangar to improve your ship. There you buy parts with currency, of course, earned by shooting down foes, and into the command center to tackle these escalating sequence of missions. Um, they can be replayed to raise money and, of course, farm for parts. And the actual shooting f- uh, different phases are broken down into substages. Early on, it's fairly easy. You're trying to shoot down as many enemies that float by as possible. And the screen is just swarming with them. Uh, there's a moment where there are small foes. They drift by in schools. that might remind you of those giant tanks that you see in an aquarium where thousands of fish swim by. Uh, maintaining a certain distance from one another, and one perhaps breaks rank and catches your eye. So it looks very much like that. Uh, Later, of course, things get a lot more difficult. There are enemies who put out projectiles. There are mines that explode a few seconds after you enter their vicinity. Formations that converge, often with you in the middle. But beyond weapons like scatter shots and a laser beam, what really keeps you alive is your perk set. Uh, Tied to an energy meter and a cooldown timer, which you'll be using quite often. Her Drifting Lands doesn't, because the Drifting Lands doesn't really allow you to build this wild ship with nothing but guns on it. So you'll be using these secondary skills. You'll be using weapons that act like, say, a giant blade, which takes out weaker foes in front of you, or triggering this explosion that allows you to destroy a formation around you. I I think the most useful is the heal perk, which has a slow cooldown, but you can recover a significant amount of health. Um, Then, as I mentioned, there's the the passive loadout. Uh, Usually you have the recover perk as one of these. That ensures that if you run out of health, you return to base, and not like, you know, the typical rogue game, you lose all your money and loot and uh, you know everything else that you value. Uh, right. So I, pl- I played the latest build for a while uh, since my save was lost, and there are some pretty big changes uh, that happened to today. One is there's far more story, there's a tutorial, and you'll earn money faster. But I think for players who aren't enamored by the shooting, drifting, drifting lands progress might seem a little bit slow. Uh, typically, a successful mission gives you enough cash to make a small improvement, but say adding a few points of health or a fraction of a percent increase on your offensive output. I didn't have a problem with it because I'm notoriously patient for kind of these slow grinds, but if you're not tolerant, I I would proceed with caution. Now, I know this sounds like kind of a a downbeat to end my discussion of the game, but, you know, that's brutal honesty. I I happen to like it. I could see myself um, investing more time with it. You just haven't said any words at all about Vin Diesel. I was assuming at some point there was going to be some drift racing, no? No. Nothing? Does it (laughs) take Take place in Tokyo. No, but my next game does. 
See, Robert, I've been waiting for it the whole time. <laughs> yes, great. So speaking <laughs> of liking, I didn't like the, the next game I'm going to talk about, uh, despite oh, no. its visual aesthetic that's right up my alley. Uh, Tokyo 42 is what it's called. It's rendered in this hyper-detailed, isometric perspective, uh, filled with details. So it looks like this futuristic Lego-looking environment. Uh, there's high-rises. There's... Uh, Maneki Neko, uh, there's people kind of bustling about cats, and it's definitely not Yakuza Zero. It's not Persona Five. It's not trying to depict the the abundant virtues of the world's most most populated metropolitan region. Instead, it, it's this expansive kind of light cyberpunk version of the region, typically rendered in a really far away view with characters that were that are only a few pixels tall. Um, so I started navigating this this Neo Tokyo and ran into a few problems right away. My character would occasionally go over the railway of a staircase and then just plummet to the ground below as everything takes place on the tops of high rises. The plot is, is kind of nonsense. The protagonist gets framed for murder, get this, and to exonerate himself, he becomes an assassin for hire. Now, <laughs> they, they try to explain is it. Is Suda 51 involved with this? No, no, it doesn't get weird weird unfortunately i mean they try to explain it but the truth is it doesn't matter when you have an arsenal of guns you have grenades and a katana so speaking of tossing grenades there was one training mission where i could hurl a grenade all the way to a nearby building and then you know two missions later i had my regular reach which was kind of disorienting but but largely tokyo 42 it doesn't pamper you it's about figuring out things for yourself and once you do there is fun to be had and definitely some frustration and you know i know some people might like that so shooting is handled in a really interesting way you can fire bullets but they travel really slowly i once fired a sniper round and the mark moved as the bullet took about five seconds to reach its target now there's a reason for this um you can kind of bullet dodge your way out of some firefights so it, it vaguely feels like a bullet hell shooter at times uh one hit will kill you so you do have to take cover and you duck behind structures um there's there's kind of this twin stick method for navigation and firing and firefights are really fun and one of the best things is the enemy ai is probably better than some triple a third person shooters i played i've had them try to flank me they take cover they generally exhibit decent you know decent amount of common sense so often you'll be on a mission trying to use your katana to avoid suspicion silently taking out different antagonists and then all of a sudden someone's alerted and then you switch to your firearm and then you have to whittle away uh, a pack of aggressors and it's really engaging but a little tricky because you do have to rotate the camera as the attackers kind of smoke you out right and most of the time there's some that that just have batons uh but some of course have some machine guns now failure is definitely part of the equation uh as i mentioned a single hit will kill you or if you don't actually meet the mission requirements so i had to drop a grenade on um one gentleman and i accidentally shot him and killed him and they said nope you you failed just for doing that not good um, enough Oh, yeah, no. I I asked for a damn grenade. So you might every once in a while. I've been playing replaying mi- missions about ten to fifteen times until I just get it right. But that's part of the fun, right? In that kind of Dark Souls, 
you know, uh, sadistic kind of, kind of fashion. Uh, the reward is pretty great, though. You get different parts of the city begin to open and open up. So before long, I was having a lot of fun uh, with the game, kind of retreating on my initial impression of falling off the walkways to my to my doom, like drunk guy in Tokyo. <laughs> so this this looks really interesting too. Like I'm just kind of looking up images of this. You know what it reminds me of is if you can imagine the old game on PC Syndicate. Syndicate, yes, of. yes, very much like um, Syndicate. And Except Grand Theft Auto, the original Grand kind, Theft Auto, but... Kind of, maybe, maybe, but everything is, like, built out of really colorful Legos or something. Like, there's a really colorful, like, almost plasticine yes, kind yeah. of, like, hard-edged look to it. I, I yep. find it very interesting looking. Yeah, so I love the look, and and that is definitely part of the appeal of the game. So, so I went from not liking this to, to liking it, and then I'd say the opposite uh, was the case for my next game called Grip. Uh-uh. Uh, all capital letters G R I P. So that was one of the two racers. Gotta yell it at someone. Grip. Uh, I've been playing this week. Is it like arms? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I don't think it's an acronym. I think it's just grip. Uh, so <laughs> one of the things is it's trying to attempt to bring back the type of racing popularized by Roll Cage. Um, so grip has you. I, I feel like I want to yell it now every time I'm saying it. Grip. <laughs> Has you careening across floors, ceilings, and walls, and a car that... It's like one of those little flat remote control vehicles that can flip over and keep going. You know which one I'm talking about? No? Uh, like they have big wheels. Yes, yes, big matter. wheels, kind of flat body, those. So part of the problem is the game is, is still really early. Uh, you're forced to use the mouse to navigate the menu, even though the rest of the game allows you to play with the controller. Now, I bring this up as an issue because the game has a real hard time sticking with a resolution. This is for PC. Uh, several times it dropped to the desktop, then when I maximized the window, there was this schism between the actual output and the perceived output resolution, so selecting things weren't as easy as pointing and clicking, you kind of had to mouse around blindly uh, some of the time, which is a little frustrating. So the tutorial level shows promise. Uh, You have a high rate of speed, the frame rate is solid most of the time, there's plenty of boost pads and weapon pickups to to fill your two slots. Occasionally when you hit a jump or some other event, the frame rate does take a drop, and it it is significant, but it quickly recovers. Um, Moving on, the game selection, there are eight tracks, uh, there's some problems. One track didn't have enough racing surfaces beyond the ground, kind of undermining grips, uh, claim to fame there. <laughs> <laughs> and when you do hit uh, an obstruction, the game's camera just goes absolutely apeshit. It spins around this rotating car, and it's really oh, yeah. disorienting. Uh, at least 50% of the time, I'm like gunning it, but I'm going the wrong way, and i got to turn it around, and the little remote control car doesn't doesn't really spin on a dime there. Uh, I like where grip is going, but it still has, has a lot of a lot of ways to to go. So the, the other cars in it kind of look like those RC cars that you like toss them downstairs. Yeah, and yeah, land exactly. Right side up, and you could still drive them no matter what way they were yeah. facing, top or bottom. Yep, exactly those. Um, so the but other you don't have to deal with the camera on those. You just. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. those damn uh, rechargeable batteries that always cost like 20-something bucks and lasted like six weeks. Formula Fusion, is, on the other hand, is a much more solid experience. Uh, if you're not familiar with that title, this is the spiritual successor to Wipeout. You, you see, Sony bought uh, Psygnosis, which eventually merged 
correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy, into Studio Liverpool. Liverpool. Which, mm-hmm. Yes, which put out games like uh, Wipe, the original Wipeout, G Police, mm-hmm. Colony Wars, Roll Cage was one of those for the um, PS1, uh, the Formula One series later in their career. But Sony, in their infinite wis- wisdom, closed down one of my favorite studios in, right. uh, I believe it was 2010, 2011, there, which I was disappointed with. So Andrew Walker, yeah. uh, he was one of the leads on Wipeout 3, and uh, also some of the Liverpool team. They went on to form R8, the letter R and the number 8. And while Sony might have the right to the Wipeout um, name, putting out a compilation title this week, they no longer have the talent. And, and that shows in the current build uh, of Fusion. There might not be the iconic classes. I miss the old Fizar craft, you know, um, <laughs> the way the they're, lady they're coming back, they're coming yeah. back. Yes, um, but it has the physics, it has the robotic British weapons announcer, uh, and it's got the visuals courtesy of the designer Republic. Those are all in the game. So on a somewhat meager 1050 Ti laptop, I can squeeze a pretty reliable 60 frames per second out of the game, which is enough to to really glide across the game straightaways. Um, And those corners that are color-coded and always kind of easy to see, track design feels just like the old Wipeout games. It's got that roller coaster-like feel, and the way a stick pull to to either the extreme left or right can produce that perfect arc. Oh, I absolutely love that. Um, Weapons I'm looking at a screenshot of it, and I literally cannot tell which way is up it's like the track is quite literally mind-bending you got rocks and twisting uh track and everything i just I, are, are you, lo- are you still looking at grip or <laughs> yeah uh no uh, oh, formula fusion uh, formula, fusion? formula oh. fusion oh okay i didn't have that that problem with you know figuring out which which part of the track which way is up but the the one thing i'll, I'll say is weapons are anything too special I feel like I've seen those before. There's the usual missiles and defensive protection. Uh, protection. Blue shells. Yeah, no blue shells. They are yeah. powerful enough, so you think, should I run over the boost, the offensive pickup, or the protection? I, I mean, I guess it's got that going for it. But after, I, I remember the wipeout, the later ones for PS4 would have, like, the earthquake, would have the, the triple missiles and things like that, so it yeah. kind of feels like a step down. Or maybe a return to, you know, purity is, is what they're after. The the game has enough content right now to, I'd say, justify the $20 price. In R8, they promise free content instead of DLC as the price rises. Um, I really like that whole Shovel Knight model where you support developers um, by paying and then you know additional content is, is loaded in there instead of you know the paid DLC. So if you feel the same and you do like that anti-grav racing, I would suggest giving Formula Fusion a go. Give it a green light. Anti-grav is usually something that I want to love, but I just am never good at it. Why? You know? Like you, you, I don't like you talked about that perfect arc, but man, oh, yeah. like the, like you're actually steering like about five feet out in front of the nose cone of your of your thing, and I just for some reason I could never really get to the point where I could make those turns naturally. Like I'm always like constantly like wiggling and like trying to get the arc and like. Do you memorize? Do you memorize the track? Uh, no, I I do a cold read on the track every time. You're doing rally. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> He's doing anti-grav rally. It's, yeah, you kind of like have to know the track, like what's coming up. I, kn- I know there's those indicators, there's the kind of hazard sign um, around those turns, but knowing the track is kind of the name of the game. And the other thing, which like the old wipeout, you can use the triggers. And so you know for those hairpins, you never have to use a brake. You just, and that kind of uh, pivots or rotates your craft along there. Yeah, that, and so, that yeah, it, if you do that, that's really how you get. Um, you know, when first I place. hit the perfect 
line on a turn in like Wipeout or something, I mark that day on my calendar because really, that's oh yeah, yeah. It's it's rare. It's few and far between. I but know. I am interested yeah, in, I, in looking. F- I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Wipeout Omega collection that's coming out here uh, pretty quickly. So I think it's I mean, already we'll out. It's already out for download. Oh well, excellent. Yeah. Then I yeah. need to look forward no longer. You didn't play <laughs> the PS4 version? Oh, Wipeout. sure I did. Oh yeah. In okay. fact, I mean, like you were talking about the Wipeout. Uh, yeah. You know the the earthquake effect, like that yeah. thing that rippled down the. Yeah, the, I mean, that was cool. yeah, that was, yeah, really that cool. was really cool. Yep, would upend any anybody in front of you. Love that. Yep, exactly. So that's that's what I've been playing. Well, uh, we have you know the last uh, what five or six months to catch up on, but I kind of decided mm-hmm. that I would go with the the latest and greatest stuff out on the Nintendo Switch. Um, just since you know it's kind of the new thing. Uh, it's definitely no Vita. There are a lot of things I could I could say about that, but I will <laughs> I will hold my. Thumb. Um, but uh, I want to talk about some of the software that is out on Nintendo's newest platform. I want to talk about The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, if you've been on social media or living anywhere that's not under a rock for the last little while, you've probably heard stuff about it. I'm not sure that there's a lot of uh, new things that I can necessarily say uh, that, that you haven't heard before, but I, I kind of do want to reiterate the idea that um, I I was really surprised by this. I was surprised that it came out as well as it did. Um, and, and I know that some people could look at it and say, well, of course, you know, it's Nintendo, but it's it's not really a sure thing, especially with the idea of something like open world. I mean, there have been relatively few, and I'm, I'm trying to think of any just off the top of my head, uh, d- games developed in Japan that really did a good job at, at, at a, a real good open world. The only other thing that I can really think of, uh, it's like Final Fantasy 15, maybe. I mean, that's that's a pretty good a pretty good example. But I mean, there have been things like No More Heroes that you know kind of tried to, but they you know didn't really grasp it at the time. Um, so I, I don't think there's a lot of precedent really for a really true open world game uh, developed outside of the West that, that did really well. But The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild does an excellent job because, uh, in, in my opinion, they have taken uh, the concept of open world and really applied a craftsmanship to it that I think... Um, I, I mean, I think it's there to some extent in, in most games that, that you look at. I mean, even things like Assassin's Creed or uh, you know some of the superhero games, I mean, they, they definitely give you interesting and, and good things to, to do. But more often than not, it feels like, hey, we built this area and then kind of tucked you know, here, here's like a, a trigger event right here. This is going to, you know, sw- switch to a different camera view, and now you're doing a race or something like that. You know, something that didn't feel very organic. Um, but Breath of the Wild really has... Uh, it, it's almost like they, they took that extra time, because it got delayed a lot, right? Like, I mean, it was a good, th- what, two to three year delay for that, based on when it was originally going to come out for the for the Wii U, which it is out on the Wii U, of course. But, uh, you know, I've been playing it on the Switch. And, and it seems like they took that time, almost like you can imagine somebody looking over a, a scale model of, of a world from every possible angle and making sure that it looks really interesting no matter which way you approach it from. Um, I, I would describe and, and have described um, the little areas that you traverse. First of all, it's big. Uh, you know, you, you know, people talk about the sense of scale, but I in in most games and in most open world games, I think the I'm trying to think of like Assassin's Creed, maybe or, or maybe Grand Theft Auto Five, maybe as far as the sense of scale, taking a long time to get from one place to another. When I play the, the Breath of the Wild, I, I almost feel like like it's a Tolkien book or something like that. Like, I've got to go way over there to the Misty Mountain 
Um, and it's going to take me a good week to get there. It takes a long time to hoof it over there. And there's really interesting stuff all along the way. Um, you know, you might decide that you're going to follow a forest path through, you know, one side of the valley, or you might say, you know what, I'm going to go to these ruins over here. And no matter which way you take, they've made sure that there is something really interesting and unique. You know, it's not like really, um, you know, stamped or, or, you know, control C, control V type stuff all over the, all over the, uh, the world, but, but rather that, interesting little set pieces and, and little, um, you know, little puzzles to solve or just interesting little places to hang out or, you know, kill things or, or whatever. I mean, they've, they've really, I think, done a good job of, uh, of, of bringing that experience to The Legend of Zelda. It doesn't have a lot of uh, really direct correlation to the, to the previous games in the series, so I, I'm not sure if that counts against it necessarily, and I, and I haven't seen a lot of people looking at Breath of the Wild and saying, well, I sure wish it were more like you know, Skyward Sword or, or something like that. I mean, people really have embraced it, and, and I think for good reason. Um, the, the other thing that, that I've been really impressed with is the fact that Nintendo has uh, really um, accelerated the point at which the player gets to do their own thing. You know, I mean, most of the time, the thing about Legend of Zelda is they might give you an open, an open world to play around in, like, you know, going all the way back to uh, Ocarina of Time, you know, they would give you the Hyrule Field or, or whatever, but it was mostly, again, it was mostly the idea of go from here to there and, you know, find some random enemies and, and kill them if they come up. Uh, or, or even uh, Wind Waker, where, you know, you could traverse the ocean and sometimes you'd come across some squiddy things or, or something like that, and, you know, that was what you'd do. Um, but Nintendo here has, has given the player, um, you know, first of all, free climbing ability. So anything that is conceivably scalable, whether it's man-made structures or mountains or natural, uh, you know, trees or, or things like that, is essentially scalable uh, in, in that shadow of the colossus sort of way you have kind of a a uh, stamina meter and as long as you can you know outlast the the meter you can get to the top of just about anything in the game which is uh, really kind of neat uh but they also give you some of the the real important abilities within the first couple hours of the game um the sheikah slate which is sort of analogous to the switch tablet or i guess you know probably in the past it would have been analogous to the wii u pad um has uh, a few runes on it that kind of do different things and it allows you to do things like um you know magnetism or to generate bombs or or things like that and they pretty pretty much just give it up i mean i was really surprised in the, in the starting zone uh the first three or four shrines that you go to bing bang boom they give you like try this now try this now try Try this. Now you can do whatever you want with it, and you can go and start hucking bombs at bad guys, or you can, uh, you know, they give you sort of that sandboxy element to it. So they really do give you some systems to play with, and I think that's something that makes an open world game uh, really work well. And um, you know, even uh, Final Fantasy fifteen I mentioned earlier, even even that really I think is more like the Assassin's Creed style thing, where they might have a uh, a couple of landmarks or, or zones on your map, and they'll send you out there, and it's like, okay, here's now a scripted event, and you know, you can do that and yeah that was interesting but the rest of the world is you know more or less something that's kind of nice to look at as you drive by it or as you you know wander through it um so i really have been enjoying uh, breath of the wild uh, i've seen a lot of people on my friends list uh clocking in you know hundreds of hours 160 hours i think 200 hours over 200 i think it stops counting at some point which is uh <laughs> kind of intimidating i i don't know that i'll ever be able to sink that kind of time into it but um the story in and of itself uh is, is pretty interesting it's one of those sort of post-apocalyptic zelda games I, I don't know where it fits in the zelda hyrule 
Real Historia timeline. I know that some people get really sick of the timeline, but heck, I, I like to hold them to it and say, you know what, you guys invented this, so you're gonna you're gonna damn well put this somewhere on the timeline. Um, but the uh, there there are interactive NPCs, so it's not totally just you know Link out in the world. Uh, they they actually have settlement areas and um, interesting characters that are just every bit as good as uh, characters you might have seen in Skyward Sword or uh, any of the other games. Um, they have interesting little side quests and things that you can do. They're they're all totally optional. So. Um, again, giving the player a lot of freedom whether they want to pursue the main quest or just putz around for 160 plus hours. Um, they, they let you do that too. And everything really is, is always pretty interesting. I mean, the combat is really fun. Um, you know, you can carry around multiple weapons. They do have, you, you may have heard, they have uh, weapon degradation in this, so you can actually, uh, you know, your favorite warhammer that you like to carry around suddenly could snap if you're not careful with it and, you know, crack it against the ground. Uh, is they that as annoying as it seems to be from i don't think so i that's a great question blue i think that is kind of an overplayed thing i mean your your weapons aren't breaking constantly and really if you use them smartly you can really make them last but the thing is that they give you a lot of other things that you can always be playing around with i mean there's really not much reason to grow too used to a particular weapon i mean even sometimes the you know the skeletal arms of some of the uh, undead characters you know you can use those as swords and they're actually pretty good they'll do decent damage and it's probably um, it, for the developers it's probably an incentive so that you don't stick with one weapon through the whole game yeah you do experiment I mean, and so it you know i'm sure they there was a reason rationale for that it's kind of funny because in in some ways um, I I like that. I mean, Robert, you were talking a little bit earlier about Tokyo Forty Two having a really stringent um, you know um, objective system where if you don't do it a certain way, then you know you do it again until you get it right. And I almost feel like in some way over the last twenty thirty years, working us in our brains, we've got to get possible and we've got to hit all three of you know the gold silver and bro- and two bronze objectives um, b- before we can move on and game- when games require that I feel like it's reinforcing something that's a little bit a little bit ugly and and like a little bit constraining in us where something like a almost against our will but for our own good that there's something like a weapon degradation system you know because without that it it feels like you'd want to min max it or find the one that you you know it's kind of like people who play god of war and only hit triangle they're like well i can win the game this way and you know that's all i'm going to do i think there are some scenarios in which gaming people we tend to find something comfortable and and stick with it and it's situations that incur us to do lots of different things I think that um, yeah, it's that whole variety is the spice of life thing and uh, I think without that I think when you have something that locks you in too much or, or even is incentivized in a certain way so that you really do the you know the El Cheapo you know you cheese through something because you know that's the best way to do it um, I, I really like to um, extol and and really talk about stuff when it when it goes another route and so weapon degradation even though it gets kind of a bad rap online I feel like it keeps things a little bit fresh in some ways by forcing you to you know because you probably wouldn't on your own because um, you know otherwise you're not going to drop that stuff out of your inventory uh, but the fact that you can throw weapons too you can take any of those weapons and they'll actually do extra critical damage if you hit with them but it destroys the weapon um, that is kind of a cool little risk reward kind of thing you know maybe you hit maybe you miss and oh my god I just lost that really cool sword and it didn't kill this giant you know thing that I'm up against uh, I, I, just in general there are a lot of smart decisions that Nintendo made with uh, Breath of the Wild and I guess to be honest I didn't know if I expected that I just figured it was going to be you know maybe a a semi sort of open worldy type thing that's still uh 
you know, had all the trappings of old Zelda. Um, but it is definitely something new, and uh, I am really interested to see where they go in future iterations with this. I'm interested to see if they stick with it and if they um, if they find it to be as successful for for whatever their measure is, uh, you know, as any of their older ones. Um, and you know, Zelda's kind of interesting because I'm not sure. I, I correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it seems like it sells pretty well, but it never sells like amazingly super great am i wrong about that i feel like it does okay i think breath of the wild has been uh the most successful zelda game in quite some time actually i believe that's right i believe that's right didn't have like a hundred and like five percent attach rate on the switch yes yeah for a while people (laughs) were buying it more than they were buying the console itself weirdly um and there are a number of reasons that that could be but yeah isn't zelda uh, also more popular in the west yeah yeah i think so i think so i think it's uh, you know it's got the you know the um uh, adventuresome sword and sorcery trappings that I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm not really sure why it wouldn't be as popular in in Japan itself. But um, you, you know, and and actually, that's another interesting point too. Is that I'm not sure that open world games typically tend to do that well outside of the North America and Europe. Um, Needs more waifus. Kind of, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I like I said, I'd be interested to see if they stick with it. I know they've got some story-based DLC and some other things coming down the line for for Breath of the Wild, and uh, I, I don't know that I'll ever be into it to a point where I'll be ready to to buy that stuff. But um, yeah, I, I kind of am interested to see just as a point of curiosity how how long they stick with it or if they decide that they want to go another direction with it down the road because they've done a really good job with it i think they've uh, it, it really shows that they they took their time and and were really mindful about the design of the game so um Another game I want to talk about, uh, actually, it's not on my list here, but I, I do want to mention that because over the last two weeks, uh, Nintendo has been doing a uh, an original IP, a test for ARMS. Uh, Blue, you were mentioning that a little bit earlier. I have to yell it out. ARMS! Yeah. Um, the uh, They've been doing that same thing that they did with Splatoon back in the day. They uh, have basically set out two weekends, which are now passed, so if you are hearing about this for the first time, I'm sorry, you've missed it. Uh, but they, it's called the ARMS Global Test Punch, and um, I am not a fan of that method of uh, of demo or of, of beta test. Um, I don't know if they are doing stress testing for their servers. I don't know if they're just trying to pour people together like jars of ants into pre-designated time slots. Um, you know, it is nice because you always have people to play with, but it is kind of a pain in the neck generally. I mean, it, it's. I would almost just prefer that they take a day and say, you know, hey, just play any time during this day. But uh, during the course of the Memorial Day weekend or the bank holiday weekend if you're in, in uh, England, uh, and then this past weekend, they had three or four time slots, uh, hour-long time slots per day for uh, a couple, three days in a row. And uh, you could play ARMS on your Nintendo Switch. And um, generally speaking, it's okay. Uh, it's sort of in the wheelhouse of something like Punch-Out, I guess. Uh, essentially, it is a left-hand, right-hand, duke-it-out type of game. Um, it does support uh, multiple players, so you can play with up to four people in one match. And uh, they have a host of noodly armed characters who can throw their boxing gloves across a fairly long distance. Uh, and it is a little more methodical, I guess, than something like Punch-Out, where it's mostly like punch-punch-punch and dodge when you need to. Um, because your arm are so long and springy, any individual throw that you make, if it doesn't make contact, you've got a little bit of a recoil time. So that leaves you open potentially for counterattacks. And uh, so as, as a more slower and methodical type game, uh, kind of a different uh, different flavor to it, which I, I kind of appreciated. Um, however, in actual execution, I found like 
the subtleties of it, I mean, they, they give you the option to dodge and jump and try and get out of the way and position yourself for a, a good counterattack. I feel like during the course of play that um, most of the time the subtleties, I think, were just a little bit too subtle. I, I don't know that you know you would really benefit from from doing all of your bobbing and weaving. Um, I felt like most of the time if you could if you could get a good roll of punches going, you could pretty well dominate the competition. Now I realize that that's during a very um, you know impromptu one hour long oh my god let's play it type session where you don't really get a chance to uh, feel for the strategies. But it's like going into a fighting game against somebody who's button mashing, and you know they always beat you. You know some someone who is a brand new button masher will win every single time, and it's only at the point at which they kind of figure out hey here's a combo I can do that they actually start to lose. They break that uh, beginner's luck um, situation. So. Um, they in the second week they uh, added the uh, character uh, Deathlock uh, or, or sorry Headlock Headlock uh, who is a um, a computer controlled character. So all of the characters have just two arms, but Headlock is like this floating head clampy helmet thing that also has two sets of arms on it, and it will take over one of the bodies of one of the characters. And what they'll do is they will allow three people. Uh, against this computer-controlled, essentially a boss character who has six arms. So basically he's got enough that he can fight off everybody else. Um, I did not see that at all during the first weekend, so I think it was something that they kind of folded in for the second weekend. Um, and it is kind of fun to do like a little cooperative match against the people who just kicked your butt a minute ago in one of the, the party matches because they have it set up on like a rotating party system. So you end up in a pool with the same people and kind of uh, reconfiguring and, and doing different matches. Uh, but it is kind of fun to have this uh, this headlock character who everybody can sort of cooperatively go up against, and uh, everybody stores up their fighting energy and eventually can unlatch, uh, can unleash their super attacks um, and, and just kind of try and roll through that and not give the character a chance to retaliate. Um, interestingly, the headlock character also would have levels, so level 4, level 5, level 6, that sort of thing, and get progressively more difficult as time went on, and uh, it, it was really kind of a fun challenge. Um, so in general, um, I would say that ARMS is maybe worth looking into. I know that uh, Nintendo just had an eight hour po- eight hour an eight minute pokemon direct that they did and uh, i think one of the things they announced was pocket tournament to come to the uh nintendo switch and it, kind of in the same way that pocket tournament was pretty okay um i think arms is pretty okay so if you liked pocket tournament if you played it and you like the idea of kind of a um I don't know, kind of a, a Pokemon themed with with lots of little special moves and elemental abilities, that kind of thing. If you if you liked a fighting game that wasn't really deep in the sense that the the popular games like Street Fighter are deep, but still kind of fun, and if you're okay with the idea of of the some of the frustrations that might come with some of the systems in Arms, um, I, I would say consider looking into it. Uh, it, it. It definitely was um, interesting to play, and it does allow for two player local play, uh, both cooperatively and competitively against one another, uh, which is always fun and. And uh, made for some some fun times for me and for mine during the uh, during the past two weekends. So uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, did the you, last uh, game, try any of the motion controls with that. I did. There, fact, I, I heard Nintendo's trying to position this as being like the first serious competitive motion controlled fighting game or something to that effect. Yeah, I, I can't really speak to what Nintendo thinks will happen <laughs> with that, <laughs> but. Um, but good I did. Fact, good, good yeah. luck with that. <laughs> so I, I have uh, both the Joy-Cons, the, the red and the blue Joy-Cons that come with the Switch, and also the classic, or, or sorry, the Pro Controller, I guess is what they call it. And uh, the Pro Controller controls are pretty decent. Um, the jumping and the and the dodging are mapped pretty pretty nice on the face buttons, um, the, the left and right. So essentially on the, the cross 
uh, you know, the X and Y and the A and the B, they have the top button is the jump, the side button on the left is the dodge to left or right, and then the two buttons on the right and at the bottom represent the right and left arms that you can fire off. Um, and, and those work pretty well, but I found that it was all right using the motion controls in general. They do give you the idea, or they do give you the ability to curve your punches and put a little bit of English on that uh, on that special glove. Um, but the difficult thing is that you also use those, if you tilt them simultaneously to the left or right, your character will kind of jog to one side or jog to the other side or move forward or move back. And so there was a little bit of a, of a tricky disconnect trying to steer my punches, but also steer my character simultaneously, which you can do with the pro controller uh, using the stick versus uh, throwing the punches. Um, so it, motion controls actually kind of lose a little bit in that, in that equation. Um, so Jeremy, better than Facebreaker? Better than Ready to Rumble. Ooh, Ready to Rumble. you know, let me let me tell you this. Uh, Twintel, who is the uh, the sort of glamour character, the movie star character, uh, has much better assets than the physics that they had in Ready to Rumble Boxing. I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, so there's there's definitely something there for everybody, including Blue. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the last game that I'm going to talk just a little bit about is uh, a new release on Android and on Steam, The Elder Scrolls Legends, which I believe has been in a private beta up until this point. Uh, it is the uh, Tamriel-based uh, response to uh, Hearthstone, the card game. Uh, so Tamriel, of course, is the world of The Elder Scrolls, and... Uh, I think like most card-based games, not all, there are some that break the mold, but I I think this one is definitely chasing Hearthstone. Uh, There are a few things that make it a little bit different, though. So it it does start out with you, the player, uh, on the bottom of the screen. Your opponent is at the top. And, of course, you get your decks of cards, and you have mana that increases every turn. So that is pretty much the Hearthstone standard at this point. Um, You should be sent to die on your first round. Yeah, well, actually, so here's here's one cool thing. So even before you get to the meat of the game, one of the things that Elder Scrolls Legends does that's really kind of cool is they actually run you through a series of decent tutorials, which um, I haven't gone back to Hearthstone in a long time, definitely not as a, as a brand new player, but I feel like they sort of did just, like, toss me into the ring right to start from. I mean, they, they start you out against some easy AI characters, so you can play the AI matches any time, but they don't, it seems like, and, and I don't know if you guys played either of these, but correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they really give you much of a start they sort of just throw you in and and you figure it out and you know it's not bad uh you you know the the game itself isn't too complicated all the cards tell you what they're going to do and the the you know the fact that it's a digital card game kind of walks you through all the rules but there's not really like a a decent single player mode i know that there have been little add-ons like uh, naxxaramas and and some of the other things there, but um, Elder Scrolls Legends has a pretty decent starting tutorial, and it actually has a full single-player campaign, uh, which, you know, I guess ultimately you're playing against AI characters, so it's not that big a deal, but I I definitely feel like they took a a little bit of care uh, in in the ramp-up process, or in the onboarding process. Um, uh, In in fact, they even start you out, so so when you get into the real, quote-unquote, real game, uh, characters have full 30 points of health. They actually start you out at the beginning playing against somebody who has, you know, five units of health. And within about three moves, you can win the first match. Or, you know, they give you a choice to, are you going to attack this guy or attack that guy? Good for you. Here's a treat. Gold star. Um, and uh, they, they sort of level you up a little bit as you go, and they start to introduce the idea of um, new kinds of cards. And here's the thing. So there are a few things that set the Elder Scrolls Legends apart from Hearthstone. Number one is that it actually has... Uh, two things come right to mind. One is um, the, there's a color-based system, sort of a skill-type system. There's four types. Um, 
the uh, well, well, actually, so so that's something a little bit different. So th- there are um, different. Uh, I don't want to call them abilities, but different color coded cards. Um, so the um, let me see if I can find here what those are because I don't know them off the top of my head. But kind of kind of like Magic the Gathering. So if you guys uh, have played or are familiar with Magic the Gathering, they basically had decks that you could build out of certain colors, and you could build you could sort of load the deck to support certain types of cards. And and of course those types of cards have certain affinities or certain things that they'll do. So uh, Magic characters have a lot of debuffs and have a lot of uh, um, I, I think that's the purple color, uh, you know. So you'll you'll end up with a lot of uh, sort of tricks that you can do using those magic characters, or there are characters who have agility, and you can sort of mix and match them together to kind of put some flavor into your deck um, in a way that uh, Hearthstone is more based on the um, sort of the hero character. Uh, so you might have a um, a mage or a, um, a shaman or something like that, and they'll they'll have character or they'll have cards that are sort of themed around that sort of character. With this, you actually can kind of mix and match. And so, in addition to the ability to customize your deck, you can sort of theme the deck a little bit differently based on which ability you use. Uh, the other thing that is kind of nice is there's a little bit of a balancing system. It's a real simple balancing system, which is that your hero character has little runes around the outside of the avatar, and as you take damage that passes a certain level. Uh, your character will um, get a, a benefit or will unlock some sort of ability uh, at that level. So th- the, what that does is that if you're losing super bad, uh, you'll at least have the balance, the counterbalance of being able to unlock these um, these other uh, cool benefits that you get. And there have been other games. In fact, the Plants vs. Zombies card game, the mobile card game, actually has something similar to that where you can only take a certain amount of damage in a in a uh, you know, in succession before you know cool things happen in your favor, um, which does feel good. Hearthstone always felt like once you start to lose, you kind of just get steamrolled. So I do appreciate the fact that they've um, put the brakes on a system like that. The other thing that I haven't talked about at all that sets this game apart is that it actually has a lanes system, which again, sort of like the uh, if anyone's ever played the Plants vs Zombies uh, Heroes, the card game, uh, that game is based on lanes because Plants vs Zombies is based on lanes. So that's kind of a cool idea. In the Elder Scrolls Legends, you actually have the playing field divided in half so when you play a monster or creature card you can choose whether you want to play it on the left side or the right side monsters or creatures that are in that side can only really deal with stuff that's on that side abilities can cross over so if you have a a card that you play that grants a damage bonus or a health bonus or something like that um, that can play across and and i guess i it sort of went without saying but all of the cards will have an attack ability and a defense ability so just again just like hearthstone and just like i don't know every other card game Um, um, but uh, but there is an, an added element of strategy in that you can decide not only you know will this low level character that you've got um, you know allow you to spend that last little bit of mana that you have or magicka I think they call it in, in this uh, or you know where can I put it that it will be potentially the safest so you know if there are a bunch of other little crap trash characters on this side you know what I'm going to put my guy on the other side where I'm not going to be trading damage with you know this dude's creeps uh, the other thing that is a little bit different from from Hearthstone here and, and I, I do feel a little bit bad comparing every single thing to Hearthstone but I think that's kind of the parlance that you have to deal in you know these days um, but the other thing is that you do not have to deal with the um, the creature cards before dealing damage to the enemy hero. So matches can last uh, uh, you know a little bit less because you could potentially try and pour all your damage directly to the enemy hero. But it also opens you up to a counterattack. And and in you know in some way. 
um, there may be a natural balance to that because if you spend all of your attack points on uh, the hero and not clearing the field and and getting rid of enemies that could potentially deal damage, well, sure, you've done the damage to the hero, but you've also opened yourself up to the damage that that character is potentially going to do to you in the next turn. Um, So this is a free-to-play game, I don't know if I mentioned, and it will eventually be coming to uh, iOS, uh, Mac, um, and you know, pretty much everything, I assume. Um, currently, as of the time of this recording, only available on Steam. And the store page says Android tablets. Um, but the thing is, though, that when you go to the Google Play uh, page, it actually says designed for phones. You know, they sort of give you the 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 real estate or the form factor that it's sort of intended for. Um, I've been playing it on a tablet, though, and it seems pretty well suited to a tablet, so I'm not really sure what Google's talking about when they say it's made for phones. But, uh, yeah, uh, not bad. Uh, I don't know. I mean, here's here's the thing. Will it last with me? I'm not sure. Um, I, kind, I, I will admit I do have a little bit of a constant bone to pick with Blizzard, and, and I just don't find their stuff always as charming or as... You know, quality as uh, as some folks do, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just I don't know. It's just kind of a thing I do, I guess. I I just have to come to accept it, I suppose. But I don't have that for the Elder Scrolls. I actually don't have any love for. I, I actually have not played myself really any amount of Elder Scrolls games. So um, I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see if it's something that hooks me. Um, it does allow you to play with... Uh, oh, cl- clearly, it's an online multiplayer game, so you can play with real people. Um, I don't know if it's going to take off or if it's going to be a well-played or, or well-populated game, but uh, as far as I can tell from a technical standpoint, it's pretty solid. It actually allows you to kind of quickly swipe multiple uh, moves in succession, and it, and it seems to keep up with it just fine, so you don't have to wait for one animation to finish before you play your next card, um, which I appreciate. I mean, just little touches like that seem to be pretty good. Uh, the fact that it has that single-player campaign and that tutorial lead-in really has kind of... Uh, I've taken a shine to that. Um, and just the fact that it's a little bit different, I think, is is kind of neat. So far, I have not felt the same anxiety, I guess I would say, that I that I sometimes feel with Hearthstone, which is that, uh, you know, my my card is, is not good enough and, and the deck is figuratively and literally stacked against me and, you know, there's nothing I can do here. Um, but that might just be part of my attitude. I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm going to sort of stick with Elder Scrolls Legends. I haven't gone back to Hearthstone for, for quite a while. And I don't know, maybe they've made some balance changes or, or something. But, I mean, the game kind of is what it is. So, uh, yeah, brand new. So if you're interested, it is free on Steam and on Android and uh, coming soon to uh, iOS if it's, uh, if it's not already. Um, it is not because I just checked. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is I think it was originally set on iOS earlier than android uh i think it originally had a date in march and they must have pushed it back at some point so uh soon to come i'm sure and uh, definitely worth a try for the low low price of zero u.s dollars hey i can, even i can afford that one yeah <laughs> that's all i've got to talk about this time <laughs> well i i must say i i crack jokes about uh, about money but uh yeah i actually i uh, picked up tekken 7 over the weekend Ooh. fancy schmancy yeah. brand new Yes, it's this is the second new release game that I've bought this year, and we're into June. Yeah. Come on, video games, throw something I can't resist at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so this time around, uh, you know, Tekken is uh, basically going to be story focused for the mo- for the offline players. Uh, the big plot is that Hihachi Mishima and his son Kazuya are finally going to settle their blood feud. And uh, basically, it's told through a story mode that is 
somewhat reminiscent of the Tekken Blood Vengeance 3D movie from a couple of years ago that came muddled with Tekken Hybrid, but also mixed in with uh, gameplay segments using the Tekken 7 engine. And for the most part, the story is entertaining. Uh, it works in one of the or the guest character that is Akuma from Street Fighter. Um, unfortunately, it feels more like he's just kind of sort of glued in there to kick some ass. And oh boy, he will kick your ass very, very badly. So is he a player character as well? Is he? Uh... Yeah. Okay. yeah, he's a he's a player character and. Um, they also have some boss sequences involving him. You also, you also get to play with him throughout the story mode at various points. Uh, but there is one post-story mode, like a special chapter, I think they called it, where you fight him and he is basically as bad, if not worse, as Seth from Street Fighter IV's arcade mode, uh, Azazel from Tekken Six, and every SNK 2D fighter boss ever mashed together and slammed into Akuma. It is a super duper controller throwing uh Don't forget Goro. Boss. What was oh, that? Oh yeah. Don't dude, forget Goro. All armpits. Yeah. Yeah, it is uh, it will definitely uh force people to turn down the difficulty cuz I I was playing on normal and I got through the entire, you know, story mode without, you know, too much trouble. I mean, there's some fights that will definitely beat your ass. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, it, I didn't, you know, chuck a controller until until I got to that final boss where I just kind of thought, you know, I, I think I need to walk away or something really expensive is going to go flying through the air. <laughs> um, uh, let me see. Uh, the, the one problem I really had with this, the one major problem I had with the actual storytelling of the story mode was that. There was a narrator who is basically a, a wartime journalist covering the war between the Mishima Zaibatsu and the G Corporation. And his family got caught in the middle of the war, and of course he lost them. And he, he's talking about, or, you know, he blames Jin Kazama for their deaths. And when he's talking about you know, you know, finally getting his hands on Jin Kazama and, you know, killing him for, you know, killing his family, basically. Uh, he is virtually emotionless. In, or the voice actor, I should say, is virtually emotionless <sighs> with the delivery of it. I'm not going to say it's like Chaos Wars on the PS2 bad, because the guy has a halfway decent sounding voice and there are good production values to it. But, you know, he's like, Jin Kazama. <laughs> I want to kill him with it, my bare hands. It is I you. Mean, yeah, I mean, it is. It's yeah. It's like, what? Why didn't you get somebody, anybody, with some actual emotion? I mean, if if they had included like a a Japanese voice actor, you know, as the narrator or whatever, it probably would have been ten times better. But the, the guy they ended up with just put no emotion whatsoever into any of his lines and. Eventually, you know, I'm not going to spoil any story moments, but, you know, eventually you see him talking to Haihachi. And, you know, he's the actual character is on the screen doing the talking to Haihachi. And he's basically just putting zero emotion into it. It just feels so stilted. And it's kind of distracting, I must say. 
Um, That's weird. Yeah. It, it, so I, is I, there is there a narrative reason? Because I reviewed a game called Narcosis, and originally, you know, I was playing. I thought, wow, the voice acting's really <laughs> kind of bland, right? I, I'm not I have a digging it at all. Up, okay? But as you get through the story, it's a signal. That something's going on, and then the larger picture, you're like, "Oh, there's a reason for that." Yeah, I mean, well, he's kind of doing it like he's uh, the 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 story is being told is like you know he's you know telling his you know story of you know so it's I, like Harrison Ford and Blade Runner. Is it yeah. bad that I, it's been so long since I've seen that movie? I can't really say yes or no to that question. <laughs> um, but you know, it's basically you know he, he's telling the story as or like like it's after the fact like i went to i went to violet industries and i was talking to this man who was uh incredibly charismatic or something you know something like that i mean everything seems like he's just basically recounting the events of his perspective of the war but it's just it's just deadpan you know there's just nothing behind the delivery of it and some lines that's not too bad but when but when you're talking about, you know, your family getting killed in the war and you're just, you know, you're just talking about it like, I have a dentist appointment at two o'clock today. You know, there's, there's something wrong with it. Well, there was that uh, voice actor strike not that long ago. Oh, yeah. Crap. Going, going back to the programmers and saying, all right, say this as emotionful as you can. Yeah. So how, how does it play? Like, you is know, it, uh, does it bring the, the Tekken back? Is it uh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, for the most part, I mean, it's, you know, classic Tekken style. It, it you know, plays great. It's you know, great to just mash around with, you know, uh, in either the arcade mode or the treasure battle, which is the most significant offline mode. Um, but what they've done differently this time around, or the most significant thing they've done differently with the gameplay, is that they've added something called Rage Arts. And they're, some people would probably call them super moves, but they're more like ultra combos or uh, power blows from Street Fighter 4 and Dead or Alive 5, respectively. Uh, they're comeback mechanics. And they pack a pretty powerful punch, because you can only use them when your character's in rage mode, which is basically, you know, your health is dipped below, like, 20% or something like that. And it's a risk-reward type thing. But I feel I, I just can't shake this feeling that Tekken didn't really need to add, you know, super moves after two decades of not having them. It's mm. like when there, when you have a super move in there, it changes your thought process late in the round. It's like if you're playing, you know, older Tekken, you know, games and you're low on health and, you know, your opponent has the advantage, you start thinking, okay, now what move can I pull out of my bag of tricks that might you know, turn the tide of the battle. And, but, uh, but when you have these super moves, it's like your thought is, okay, I got to go for my finisher. When am I going to do it? Can I do it now? Should I do it now? It, it just changes your thought process, or at least it changes my thought process. And quite frankly, I, I prefer the super meters to be in 2D fighting games, and I prefer 3D fighting games to just be about, you know, knowing your moveset, knowing your combos, things like that. Uh, I mean, you know, of course, there are probably plenty of people out there that are going to look at it and say, oh, Tekken has super moves. This is what I needed to get into it. And, you know, I mean, that's perfectly cool, but I personally prefer Tekken without them. And um, I, I must say, there is another general complaint that you can lob against Tekken 7, and that's 
the roster. Um, granted, this is the first PS4 Tekken game. You know, you might expect the roster to not quite be like super amazing. But from Tekken 6, which came out in 2010, I want to say. I might be wrong about that. Uh, to Tekken 7, there's there were 41 characters in Tekken 6, and there's 35 in Tekken 7. And part of those are new characters that you know were introduced in the arcade version. And that basically means that a lot of characters got cut. And we're talking about characters that have been around for, in some cases, what, decades? Uh, Anna Williams, uh, Nina Williams' sister got cut, Julia Chang's gone, Roger the Boxing Kangaroo got cut due to concerns from animal rights activists or something to that effect. Um, but it's like, I, I think it was about 14 or so characters from Tekken 6 Aren't in Lei Tekken Wu 7. Long. He was yeah, always my favorite. Got, yeah. Yeah, he got cut too. He's uh, the Jackie, Raven, Jackie Chan lookalike. Yeah, he even had the drunken kung fu, if I remember correctly. <laughs> drunken master, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Raven, who was introduced in Tekken 5, has been replaced by a sexy female version that fights just like him, and her name is Master Raven. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know how I feel about that. I mean, be one thing if it was a palette swap, but I don't think you should really replace the original character with the sexy female version. You know, um, it's like with uh, Christy Montero, another tongue. character. <laughs> <laughs> I already did, and I actually drew blood earlier today. <laughs> um, but like with uh, Christy Montero, it's like when she was introduced in Tekken Four, she basically played exactly like Eddie Gordo, but Eddie Gordo was still in the game as well. And, you know, it's it's like, why didn't you just, you know, put a little bit of effort into the having, you know, both characters in there if they fight virtually the same anyways, you know? And, you know, uh, let me see. I'm, I got a whole shit ton of notes scribbled down next to me. Um, I think Harada just like J-Lo. <laughs> So I, I'm kind of curious, uh, Akuma being in this, uh, you know, we, we already have Street Fighter cross Tekken, right? But we're still kind of waiting on Tekken cross Street Fighter. Do you feel like, uh, and I don't even know if it's the same team on this. Is it, do, do we know? Or that, I mean, it's kind of weird that Tekken has come out, but Tekken cross Street Fighter is still like MIA, right? I, it uh, kind of feels like they might have been testing the waters a little bit by having Akuma in here. And uh, to be perfectly honest, I mean, aside from the fact that he just kind of he's just kind of there in the story mode, just kind of, oh, hey, yeah, you're going to have a fight with Akuma. You know, I mean, it's aside from that, he actually fits in relatively well. Character wise, he works really well with uh, a feud with Hihachi and Kazuya. Granted, the plot for that feud is paper thin. Gameplay wise, you know, he basically plays pretty much like you'd expect Akuma to play in a 3D fighting game. You have your standard Hadoukens and your Tatsumis and Pukins or whatever the hell those tornado kicks are called. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, everything feels just fine. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm, they obviously put a lot of effort into trying to get the Street Fighter character to feel like it belongs in Tekken, and the effort actually paid out pretty well. I mean, with the exception of 
that super ultra crazy hard boss battle, he fits in just fine. I mean, all things considered. And there's going to be another guest character later on down the road, I think in the winter or maybe even next spring. They have DLC planned out all the way through spring 2018. I'm not sure if it's going to be Ryu or Sakura or somebody like that, but if it's another Street Fighter character, it's they're probably going to feel pretty good in Tekken, uh, Tekken 7. One problem that people are probably going to have if they've been playing previous Tekken games is that there aren't quite as many single-player modes. And, you know, I mean, Tekken uh, Tag Tournament 2 had, you know, arcade mode, ghost battle, you know, time attack, survival, things like that. And older games had, you know, the bonus bowling. modes like Tekken. Yeah, bowling and Tekken ball, the volleyball uh, game from Tekken 3. I think yeah. it was. But this one, you know, you have the main story mode. You have an, a short arcade mode that only has five chapters, including the boss character. And then you have your standard, you know, versus mode and practice mode. And then the most significant single player mode, which is kind of like the next evolution of Ghost Battle, is uh, something called Treasure Battle. And basically, you're you're fighting AI opponents that have you know their own rank, their own username. They've been customized to seem like you know some person on the other end of the game made this character because it's their style. And as you jackass four twenty, yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And um, I love the names know, they, that they give those, the, like the bots that are trying to yeah. emulate real people. Yeah. I keep expecting like Luke Skywalker six 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 or something like that to show up, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like you have you, you play uh, against you know these bot characters, and unlike the previous Ghost Battle modes, you don't change the stage every time you finish a fight, probably due to loading time issues. Uh, basically, you'll fight several opponents and each time you win a fight you get prize money as well as a treasure chest or treasure chests and those unlock customization items like clothing or different makeups or hairstyle or various different items that you can apply to your character in the customization mode and you know the the thing is it's something about the experience just feels a little soulless because with like the previous games, you could choose your opponent at the end of a fight. It's like you'd have like three different options or the ability to exit out to the main menu. This time around, after you win a fight, you know you get your reward and your unlocks and whatnot, and then it just says "play next fight" or something like that, and you hit the button, and here comes another character. But they don't they don't even do the get ready for the next battle that's too bad because you know i really liked how uh you know tekken and uh, i guess injustice you know probably i haven't played injustice too but i guess it does the same thing where they have almost like little cutscenes in between and then they sort yeah. of set up like here's the next fight because in the last scene this guy was standing here and that guy was standing there and now we zoom in and hey it's a fight screen and i really like that like how it was like the okay transitions yeah, yeah exactly like hey, it's a cockamamie yeah. idea but here's something to set up the next fight like it's setting up now yeah, and that's one thing I enjoyed about uh, uh, Tekken uh, Tag Two. Is like you know, you know, in addition to having that, you know, kind of a neat LED board load screen, you'd have that uh, LED background uh, with the character taunts and whatnot. And you know, this time you get you know an opening character animation, which in the case of like Kuma doing a parody of Brian Fury with a giant tuna fish or something like that, I mean, 
they're they're okay. <laughs> Some of them are are really funny, but it's just it's, I don't know. It just feels like something's missing. Some of the uh, the voiceovers have actually been reused from previous Tekken games, which you know, I mean, they've done that with you know the shout the shouting and you know the kick sounds and whatnot. But we're talking, you know, phrases that have been used since Tekken Five or something like that. You're like, hey, that's PJAC saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm trying not to be too down on it because there's a lot to love about it. And, you know, I mean, you have a neat stuff like there's a crossover with New Japan Pro Wrestling where you have, you know, T-shirts featuring, you know, uh, the Bullet Club logo or special costume pieces for King that look like uh, a crossover with King and Kazuchika Okada, who's a one of the big pro wrestlers for New Japan. And basically, when you put all three uh, Okada items on King, it changes his Rage Arter, his super move, to uh, to basically be Okada's finishing move, the Rainmaker. And it, when you uh, when you execute the move, King will actually do Okada's signature taunt, and money will fly down from the sky, and then he'll grab his opponent and clothesline their head off. <laughs> That's fun. And um, there's also some uh, PS4 exclusive content, such as classic costumes from Tekken 2 and Tekken 4. Uh, King has like a kind of a business attire, like he's at a press conference. With the white and, tie, isn't it? And the black jacket or something? Right. Uh, I think suspenders. Like, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> he's rocking the suspenders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, Ling Xiaoyu will have like her, like a pink summer dress yeah. and uh jen will have like his tekken 4 hoodie tracksuit combo or whatever i mean that stuff's neat and it's you know aesthetic and whatnot but there's actually a pretty significant mode that is exclusive to the ps4 at least at this particular time and that's the tekken jukebox and what that does is it allows you to customize a soundtrack for every stage in the game using pretty much every soundtrack from a Tekken game save for maybe the Game Boy Advance one and we're talking hundreds of Tekken tunes and you can uh, set them up for either your own custom playlist for the individual stages or they have some presets that are based around the soundtracks for each individual Tekken game so if you want to basically skin everything like it's Tekken Tag Tournament 2, uh, you just select Tekken Tag 2 and exit back to the main menu and you have the, you know, the tag the Tekken Tag 2 menu music playing and the customization soundtrack is correct and whatnot. And it, it's pretty damned significant for it to be just a PS4 exclusive feature. So they're probably going to either patch it in. I'm not sure if it's going to be time exclusive or what, but I would not be surprised if that shows up on the Xbox One and on the PC versions as well. So um, here, here's my question. So the last time I played Tekken mm-hmm. was probably Tekken 3, I think. It was probably mm. around Tekken 3. I, I may have like dabbled in Tekken 4 or something like that a long time ago, but mm-hmm. is Tekken 7 as fun as it was at, like, Tekken 2 or Tekken 3. That's all I need to know. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, as, from my personal perspective, you know, I'm, I'm not as crazy about the the rage hearts, the super moves and stuff like that. I wish there was the option to turn those off. But aside from that, it's, you know, it's a blast to play. Um, it would be nice if there was, like, a tutorial mode to help, you know, newer players get into it, because Tekken can be really, really challenging to get into. If you right. pick a character that's, you know, an intermediate or an advanced character, 
and think, oh, hey, I'm just going to button mash with this character and I'm going to kick some ass. And then you try to play it and it's just jab, jab, right, right. jab. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I mean, that, that would have been nice. But, uh, but uh, you know, if you're familiar with Tekken, if, you have, if you've played any of the games in the last, you know, 15 or 20 years or whatever... Uh, you know, it's, you know, just kind of like riding a bike, you know, it's, I mean, it feels largely the same, but, you know, there are some subtle tweaks to it as well. Well, uh, The PS4 version has had some trouble with the online. Now, I'm not a big online player anyways, but there's been some pretty uh, sizable issues with people getting kicked out of matches and, you know, just not even be able, being able to get into any. So, you know, keep your ear to the ground if you're going to be buying it to play online because, you know, it does have some issues on PS4. Mm. Get ready for the next tantrum. (laughs) Get ready for the next (laughs) quit. So let's talk a little bit about E3, shall we? Yeah, let's do. Okay. So um, this year will be, I believe, my 11th E3. And I don't want to sound like a douche, uh, especially since I know people (laughs) would kill to go. But I want to say there's some strong advantages for watching at home. So, first of all, the the streams offer a better point of view than most people will see live. Uh, Two years ago, I was outside the Galen Center. Microsoft was trying to get people hyped up and into cheerleading mode. So, while everyone in the media line had tickets, you could get better tickets by yelling and screaming like a maniac uh, for the people with the clipboard running the show. Uh, I refused, and I wasn't even close to the shrieking developers that were planted near the front, but I could hear the boos that were coming from the rafters. Um, getting out is also a huge issue. Uh, a lot of people lack common courtesy, uh, especially in crowded situations, or there's just a lack, general lack of hygiene. Things were so bad last year, <laughs> I, I had to dab uh, hand sanitizer under my nose on one of the buses that takes the media to the next oh, press man. room. It's, it smelled like two-week-old meat on the bus. Gross. So the, yeah, uh, the one thing I have to, <laughs> that you know we re- really have to remember also um, is beyond the gaming audience, these shows are, are intended for the financial folk. Um, I'll never forget the, the time I sat with a couple of guys for, from uh, Cheap Ass Gamer, and the rest of the row were just all Japanese salarymen, all uniformly asleep, uh, more than a dozen of them, uh, during one of the slower parts of the, the Sony show that always seems to emerge there. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about these pressers is they can have an effect on stock prices. When we saw the Switch reveal, I think Nintendo dropped about $5. They were like at 32 a share. And just from the perception of that announcement, you know, it dropped $5. Um, analysts, they influence whether shares are under or overvalued. And from the one I've talked to, they have a completely different takeaway from the rest of us. So one thing I wanted to kind of share is that as gamers, we're saying, hey, what, what about games? And, you know, how come they're talking so much? Um, so those moments of, of weird things like Wonderbook, the laser tag, the HoloLens, which is cool but not coming out forever, uh, the Kinect stuff, <laughs> that those really represent a company kind of diversifying and making that mass market appeal that the Wii once had. And as my acquaintance claims, really it has only happened since with Pokemon Go. 
And although we, you know, have a different perspective of the game industry, uh, a lot of people are looking at it as, you know, when will it really kind of branch off and, and make that mass market appeal. So this year I'm skipping the pressers. I'm resisting the lure free food and drink that Sony mm. hands out. Yes. Uh, I'm watching. I'm going to avoid the crowds, the occasional fight, the smells, uh, the media people trying to cheer me on. Uh, instead, I'll be <laughs> keeping track of Sean Layden's promise of Japanese gaming through the presser. He said more Japanese games are coming to the PS4. I'm going to be counting, Sean. And if it's not, <laughs> it's not up to snuff, I'm going to call you out on it. So <laughs> I'm sure he's. You should just he's like scared. you should go, but then sit out in the lobby while when you know after they close the doors to the pressers and just like no, they don't. It. They don't let you hang out because uh, I know I know some people that were just there. I won't name any names, but for the free food and free beer, and uh, they really you know push you into you know the the stadium there. I see. But that said, there are there are some things I'm looking forward to. Um, the possibility of seeing 13 Sentinels, uh, Aegis Rim, that is uh, VanillaWare's new title, uh, first shown way back in 2015, uh, TGS. Uh, not much is known about the setting, um, it's just a desolate metropolitan city, obviously Tokyo, uh, cast in this golden glow, two characters, and of course the integration of a huge mech. But given VanillaWare's pedigree, uh, especially with Muramasa, Dragon's Crown, Odin's Fear, I'm expecting some really good things from George Kamatani and company. So, first thing we want to talk about, which I am kind of interested, very interested in watching, is Scorpio. So, I am yeah. excited for Scorpio, and as a frequent Microsoft critic, I think the company really deserves some praise. First, they managed okay. they managed to turn the Xbox One around. I mean, that thing was kind of dead in the water. They were $100 over the rival, a bit underpowered, and burdened with that whole Kinect peripheral that no one really wanted. Uh, they managed to drop the Kinect. They listened to what consumers wanted, and they really changed the Xbox One. I mean, it, it is a completely different system. The, the user interface has changed, and I I wouldn't expect a company like that to, to manage that kind of turnaround. Uh, they delivered on backwards compatibility, which, I, which I'm really impressed by, offering one of the few examples in, in recent memory of a hardware company uh, rewarding uh, their audience, their, their hardcore audience. And most importantly, they just didn't give up on the product, uh, paying lip service and neglecting it. And by that, I mean the backwards compatibility. Kind of like what they yeah, did that's with, a good point. with um, that's a good point. the original Xbox. Like They had 300 titles, and then they never really updated. They're still adding titles, and I think that that is really commendable. Um, now, that said, I think that the, the Scorpio is... Go- I was going to say the Scorpion. See what you did, Jeremy. Uh, Scorpion. <laughs> I think it's going to be a burden. Here. Yeah, it's going to be a burden for the company. Um, these half-cycle iterations are tricky. I mean, look at the new 3DS and how Nintendo handled that, except for the better eye tracking, which was notable. Uh, a little bit better play with Hyrule Warriors and SNES uh, emulation, which is kind of a sham because I think that the regular old 3DS could have handled those. The device... Is, God, I'd hope so. <laughs> yeah, the device is much better than its pre- uh, predecessor, and the amount of you know software that, that came out that really took advantage of that was minimal. Uh, even the PS4 Pro uh, offers a small advancement over the original system, but struggles with frame rates in some games that, that are lower than the regular PS4. I think we've talked about this, Blue, and the whole reason why you know we, we haven't invested in a PS4 Pro is because of that. Now, we know Scorpio is high-powered, yeah. um, but I have to ask, how much of the power will we really see when games have to run decently on the original Xbox One? 
Um, that's a case of a lot of power, but then there's the worrisome possibility that we won't see all of it because of the constraint of you know playability parity uh, across systems. And then there's yeah. also the, the burden on developers. We don't know what the middleware looks like. Maybe Microsoft will kind of tease that or, or show it. I know that could potentially be boring, so just give a quick and dirty look. But we do know that many developers struggle to deliver a playable, relatively bug-free product on schedule. And that's not a knock against developers. They are on a tight schedule to make holi- to make the holiday season, and sometimes that can be really rough. Now, there's that's going to be intensified by having to effectively build and bug test two different versions. So essentially, there's more ways to go go wrong. So basically, what I'm saying is, if anyone can do it and make it work, I'd say right now it's Microsoft. And, and Phil Spencer, you're a likable guy, but if you spout <laughs> those empty truisms during the presser, I'll be disappointed. Uh, you know, I, I think he's been saying, you know. Gamers appreciate change and just these different things that are really hollow statements. And I want him to deliver. I, I'm kind of, you know, hoping that uh, Microsoft delivers this time. So I miss be- Peter Moore. Oh, yeah. Peter, Peter Moore, <laughs> like, how can you not like that guy? He just has that kind of smile, that smirk. And so when he says things, they're, they're just perpetually charming, you know. That, I'm still like- disappointed he didn't actually get Grand Theft Auto 4's logo physically tattooed onto him. It's, it's on his ass. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I mean, Robert, one yeah. of the things you mentioned, I mean, all, all that stuff really, I think, is, I, I agree with you about, about Xbox. I mean, mostly the skepticism parts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, you were, you were quick to sing their praises. I am still going to kind of wait and see because at the end of the sure. day, it seems like it's just a higher-powered Xbox, which, you know, the PS4 Pro is kind of just a higher-powered PS4. And like you said, there are situations where something theoretically should run better, but for whatever you know, whatever vagary of technology has caused it, causes it to to run more poorly. Um, And you're right, they have done a good job with backwards compatibility. I don't really know if that stuff is going to make a difference for Scorpio. Um, I think what I'm interested in seeing about Scorpio is going to be the uh, augmented reality and the virtual reality stuff, because apparently they have, I mean, they've made some noises recently that they are designing with that in mind, or that they've at least got some concept of, of augmented or virtual reality on Scorpio. And, and I realize VR is sort of a, you know, half up, six, half, half, I'm sorry, half a dozen up, six down type thing. Maybe five but, now. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, you know, I mean, it's good when it's good, and when it's not, it's like, man, who cares? But you know, kind of, kind of like 3D was sort of a thing for a while, and and you know, the Nintendo stuck with the 3DS for as long as they did, and uh, you know, most 3D TVs now are no longer in production and and that sort of thing. So, it, you know, but then VR is a thing, and it's cool when it's cool, but it's kind of not when it's not. And I'll be interested to see if. Microsoft plans on doing specific things in that sector to, you know, to keep that buoying. So, so one of the things that I use kind of as a benchmark for popularity of E3 is, is the persistency of invites uh, to different events. And if something's hot, I, I won't get invited to it at all, right? right. Because it's just top, life, top yeah. tier. But you know, something's yeah. kind of lukewarm, I may get one invite. But when people constantly hound me, I know, oh man, this is dead. Right, <laughs> so a lot of VR stuff. I mean, people are really persistent. I had this one PR person who said, basically, if you don't respond, we're going to take you off the media list because I don't think that you're actively reading this. Yeah. So uh, a lot of VR invites, and I've kind of kept them limited. But 
anyway, um, to, mo- to move on, I made a list of titles. I don't mm. know. I, I think most of these will be at the show. Uh, so I'm just going to run through those. Uh, Steam World Dig 2, a huge fan of the first one. Love to see that. Nino Kuni 2, um, like to see that. Cyber Dimension of Tunia, of course. Uh, of course, uh, four goddesses online. One might maybe a surprise. Uh, my only sports game, Super Mega Baseball 2. Really like the first one. I'm interested in seeing, you know, kind of what they do with that. Crackdown Bob's three. <laughs> Crackdown three. Uh, huge fan of the first one. Second one was horrible. Uh, skeptical of just the the multiplayer. You know, kind of the downgrade to single player. Uh, Ease eight, of course. Uh, if if Nintendo shows Fire Emblem switched, doubt they will. Uh, probably won't be playable. Maybe they'll show a two second clip, and I'll be excited for that. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles two, Coldcept Revolt, Yakuza six. I loved Yakuza zero. Oh my god, that was that was such a. Uh, Wonderful game. Uh, Sinran Kagura, of course, mm. the Peach Beach Splash. Can't miss that. Mm. Now, here's one, Jeremy, that, that may take you back, but uh, I remember talking about the first okay. one, and I really liked it. I know everybody in the world hated it, and this has become the punchline for 2017. But Knack 2, damn it. I want to play that. The, the first one had heart. I have heard from reputable sources. I, I've heard that this is one to watch. Uh, and I think that it's going to feature for about 20 minutes of the Sony presser. Uh, we're gonna the up or down oh, line. Oh, I'm going to take, gonna take yeah. North Bat. <laughs> They're going to spend a half hour. Yeah. No, I really like the first Knack. I, I think it had a you know kind of interesting story with it. Um, you know, the playability was, was kind of cool. I, I, think it, I think it got a little bit under... I mean, it got some short shrift from people. Yeah, it did. Damn you, people. Uh, Cuphead. Hopefully <laughs> I will get to see that. Oh, um, man. I forgot yeah. about Cuphead. You know oh, what? I'm always, is... I'm always like once a week I'll, I'll tweet about Cuphead. Where the fuck is Cuphead? Cuphead <laughs> is past the point though that they need to show it. Uh, what I want yeah. from Microsoft is there's a copy of Cuphead on the seat next to you. Get oh. it. Uh, Look under your seats. It. Cuphead is under there right yeah. now. Yeah. Yep. Um, and you Emble- get a Cuphead. And you get a Cuphead. And you get bees. Yeah. Fire Emblem Warriors, uh, I was like... Now, one interesting one uh, for the Switch, I'm a big fan of the Raymond Legends game, and so the Definitive Edition bundling, mm-hmm. too. I mean, I've played them both, but I'm eager to play that. And, of course, last but not least, I don't think Mario it's going Cross to... Mario Cross Rabbids. No, I don't think it's going to be the the great, um, you know, game that descended from the heavens that many people are thinking it's going to be, but Shenmue 3. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm... If they, I, if they had more to work as with, epic but... As the previous to were, but right. I feel like it's going to have a lot of that indie jank to it. I, I just worried about the financials of it. Mm. Yeah, so. I don't know. I think there are examples of games that are sort of those mid-tier crowd-funded things that turned out really well. Um, the but, when, longest... but when your past one cost, how much did Shenmue? Cost oh, like twenty-two a ton, million. A ton. But you know <laughs> yeah, what? That's that's done. when you get that's when you get the real auteur people involved, and they've yeah. got to have it just so. Um, but I mean, look at look at stuff like uh, Dreamfall Chapters that came out. Uh, you know, I guess in pieces over the last year or so. Um, sure. That one really impressed me in terms of production value, and uh, I mean, that was made with a small, fairly small team over yeah. Red Thread Games. So stuff like that can happen. I, I guess it's just a question of whether it's designed that way and how. And well when you have an auteur. Yeah, right, sure, whether you have that, yeah, you got a, the, the racehorse, uh, you know, superstar who's got to be pampered and get get their way, but uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I don't know necessarily that uh, Shenmue is doomed, but... Uh, oh, no, I, I'm not saying it's doomed, but my expectations are, are set. 
you know, at a moderate level for that one. Set to stun. Expectation yeah. set to stun. <laughs> I don't think I'll be stunned by it. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Pleasantly stunned, yes. Uh, uh, well, I've, only, I've got a smaller list than, than you had there, uh, Robert. A few things that I'm kind of looking forward to. Um, one of my favorite VR experiences, so I did not talk about the fact that I uh, have acquired since our last podcast a uh, PlayStation VR and have been enjoying that. Uh, the one thing that I wanted, like one of my favorite little things that was kind of just a freebie that they threw in was the Battlefront X-Wing VR mission. So if you have the PlayStation 4 version of uh, Battlefront, you also can put on your PSVR and play this update that allows you to fly around in the cockpit of an X-Wing. And, and I, I think I've, I've gone on record like before. all the buttons on there, too. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. A ton of them work. Like, they actually do things. Like, even if the flip switch just flips and who knows what it does, but they work. Uh, more or less, I, I've, I've gone on record. That is really all I want from VR. I want to be able to sit in some cool, futuristic uh, what, X-Cockpits. What about Mega own. Dimension Neptunia 5.2? R? I don't think so. No, I didn't. Yeah, no, no. Uh, although I, I am, I am into uh, the the Miku uh, in VR. I, I'm okay, I'm down with that. I'm pretty down with that. Uh, you know, it's okay. Wait, you're, it's thing. you were down with it, and then it would just. I, I'm just saying yeah, I'm, I, that that is the that is the extent to which I will get those anime girls. Uh, although, what was the, what's the? Uh, I, I haven't tried, and I don't know if it's even coming to the U.S. The summer. Uh, oh God, what's it called now? I'm, I'm forgetting the name. Um, summer lesson. Summer lesson. Yes. Summer lesson. Uh, I don't know if that's coming here at all, but uh, I mean, just just n- not because it's an anime girl, but I would just be interested in seeing kind of what that ends up like. It's probably just Oogie anyway, but um, but anyway, I'm looking forward to Battlefront. Oogie, not itchy. Kind of yeah, <laughs> it's hungry, <laughs> itchy, hungry. Um, although Resident Evil is uh, supposed to be pretty good, I've not played that yet. But uh, Battlefront Two is uh, gonna gonna feature, I'm sure, heavily at EA's press conference and maybe at Sony at some point, uh, because I would really like to see. I guess this is a this is a prediction, so I don't know. This, the question was, what are we looking forward to seeing? So I don't know if this is speculative or like actual things. Um, but but Battlefront Two in general. So if we're looking for actual announced things, yes, Battlefront Two. Show me that. I'm interested in that. But I'd really like to see a more fully featured X Wing. VR-like campaign or actual maps and missions that you can do some actual dogfighting with people. Um, I don't know how many people out there would use it, but I would I would love for something like that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, in fact, just VR in general. Um, I, I know that we've gone through the first wave and we're sort of in a little bit of a, of a nadir of uh, you know kind of missing stuff. I know that Sony's released a couple of things just recently. The uh, that first-person shooter that they just did, uh, and the, the name of that escapes me as well. Um, but that you know kind of got some middling response, and it uses that special gun that's kind of looks like a PVC pipe turned in on itself with a little move bobble on the end. Uh, I guess people like that. I don't know. I you know move controllers are fine for me. I, I actually do have that uh, that um, I can't remember what it's called that action assault rifle that with the pumping lock action. Uh, I actually have that thing, so I wonder if I can use that instead. But you mean the I old kind of move just, one? Yeah, yeah, the one that you actually lock the move controller into the into yeah, the yeah. Uh, what was that called? The one that came out for uh, Killzone Three, yeah. was it? I I got it as part of Resident Evil. So uh, Jeremy, the, uh, you made me buy it, and I didn't like it. No, <laughs> no, I wasn't hip to it. No, I actually I was not a big fan of it just because it was kind of awkward to hold in front of you. Yeah. Um, but in general, I'm down with the idea. Like anything that lets me, like you know, pull out the pull out the brace and like pump the, you know, the shotgun action. Uh, Pull out and pump it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's summer summer lesson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> e put it in. Um, but the uh, the the, the X wing is one thing that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm looking forward to see the Last of Us two. Uh, I want to see you know obviously clearly one of the one of the all time 
great video games, The Last of Us. Uh, I'm interested to see. Of course, they're not going to show us anything really major, but I'm sure we're going to see some some gameplay or something interesting at uh, Sony's presentation. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Insomniac does with the Spider-Man license. Uh, yeah. They are going to be, of course, using a lot of the stuff they learned from um, the... Yeah, uh, no, no, from uh, from their Xbox game, um, the fizzy drink game. What is that called? Uh, I can't think of what it's called now. <laughs> I'm just like just like forgetting all the names of everything right at the moment. But the guy, you know, they're they're where the guy would skate around the edges. Yeah, exactly. The free roaming yeah. uh, thing, all the crazy you could just get in outfits and stuff. <laughs> Made which such was an a, impression on us. Which was a lot about traversal. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, here, look, I can look it up real quick. Uh, but uh, it, it is uh, Sunset Overdrive. Sunset Overdrive. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Because, you know, Spider-Man is one of those uh, sort of nostalgic things that people look back on, like the swinging mechanic. You know, the game that lives or dies by the awesome swinging mechanic. Uh, but imagine... Yeah, that's why... That's why Ratchet and Clank had that. You'd always be swinging from those little orbs in the sky. Oh yeah, the little the little yeah, body things. Yeah. So they've been doing that for a while. Yeah. I, I, I was the... I was like the uh and then the uh Spider Man had the way he'd cling to the wall, you had those uh boots. Those magnetic boots. Yeah, yeah. I mean you'd pretty much walk up in a straight line all clunky, but to me I think Sunset Overdrive <laughs> is is one of oh, the God. best examples of traversal in games, just giving you a lot of ways to get from point A to point B. Uh which I think Spider Man is all about that. And you know, the, of course they'll they'll need to have a good fighting mechanic and some some good stories and set pieces and things like that, but uh I am personally really interested to see um, how that turns out, I think it's in capable hands uh, over there at Insomniac. Um, another thing I am looking forward to is uh, Detroit. I want to see some more, um, you know, you know, robots, robot robots who can drama? feel. Yeah, robot robots who care about you um, <laughs> and don't know that they're robots. Um, on my list, actually, this kind of got spoiled a little bit for me, but I had Hellblade on my list here, and it was actually just earlier today, as of this recording, uh, 6th of June, that uh, Ninja Theory and, and Sony did a, a big reveal of uh, you know some new gameplay stuff. and So I guess I've already seen it now, but I'd still like it to show up. Uh, Ninja Theory is one of my all-time favorite studios. They can basically do no wrong. Uh, I don't think they've released a bad game, although I did not play much Tie the Tasmanian Tiger, really, but uh, I did. Heavenly Sword. Did you? Did you like yeah. it? Yeah, I played it again on uh, Steam. Just came out to PC. I think, oh, did I, think really? I played all three of them. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, that's theirs, right? Is that, isn't that the one that uh, Ninja Theory did? I, I, I feel like that was them. Uh, but yeah, Love Heavenly Sword, uh, uh, Enslaved Odyssey of the West, uh, DMC is like the best of the Devil May Cry games of all time. Uh, Hellblade, really looking forward to that. So I'm interested to see how that turns out. Um, and then I have here with a question mark on it because I, I kind of just want to see more of it, even though we've ha- we've really kind of had a lot of information. But the new BattleTech game that is being done, uh, Paradox has taken over the publishership of that, and uh, they- they've actually done a-, a pretty good media dump on it. But uh, I'm kind of looking forward to. Uh, Are you, know, you sure they it. did tie, Jeremy? Uh, so I'm looking some, up their their first their first game was Kung Fu Chaos for the Xbox. Kung Fu Chaos. You know what? It wasn't oh. Thai. Kung Fu oh, Chaos. God. That was my, my that was ju- when they were just at monsters. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah that it, was it pretty was, good. That was fun. Yeah. So I never played that, but uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, those are those are some of the things that I'm looking forward to. I am interested to see, like I said, what the AR VR proposition is going to be on Scorpio, um, Nintendo. Uh, just kind of interested to see what they've had in the hopper that they haven't really told us about. Uh, I'm not really interested in you know some of the stuff that's been coming out on the Switch, but uh, you know Super Mario Odyssey. Maybe they'll show some more from that. That is a creepy looking game. I guess we'll see how it's uh... <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and then I don't know. Since since you uh, poo pooed it, I'm going to say that I'd really like to see 
see what's going on with this Rabbids Cross Mario uh, thing. No, I didn't poo-poo it. Yes, you did. You poo-pooed it right on the air, live. Everybody heard you. So, yeah. Blue. <laughs> no, it's going to be Can terrible. we look at the root? It, it deserves to be poo-pooed. It, it, <laughs> sure. It's turn-based, and it's got weapons. Yeah. They, they, what do they have? Why like, do you like, think like, I won't like it? Things? Oh, I don't like the rabbits. Yeah, that's true. Okay. How can you not like the rabbits? I mean, they like... Did you, They're like do you remember the original... Uh, what? They're like minions. Yeah, and yeah, minions I don't are like them. Pretty... You don't like <laughs> the minions either? No. Uh, minions were okay in the first movie when before they got before they before they forgot their roots. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that's kind of what I'm looking forward to on the stages. Um, but you know, I I kind of like to just sit back and enjoy the whole ride. I, I you know I think people are sort of yeah. criticizing the fact that the uh, the pressers are starting a day earlier this year. I kind of like that. I kind of like the fact that I'll just be able to like sit in my underpants on my couch and uh, you know watch these Twitch streams of, of these things or YouTube and uh, just kind of screw around on Twitter basically. And I'm really that's like my favorite part of E3 is like being on the social media, watching like a hundred tweets a minute scroll yes. by when something amazing happens. Um, <laughs> the and, shit storm. I mean, exactly, exactly. They're coming up with snarky comments, finding one you like, retweeting that, getting retweeted. Like I just I enjoy that part of it. I, I don't know. I'm shameless. But uh, that—that's kind of. Yeah, I mean, that—that's fun for me too. That's. Yeah. It's the E3 appeal of the modern era. That's the, that's the other thing. You, you never get reception because there's twenty thousand people there, and yeah. so uh, watching it from home <laughs> is much better. You can make those snarky comments. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, in terms of the question of the, you know showing up there versus uh, digital, I mean, I'm sure it's fun to be in a in a big area with like lots of people who are you know similar minded, and, and you can go meet cool people and maybe get an interview or or you know get a demonstration from somebody, and you're like, oh hey, I know that guy. He's the designer of such and such. Like those kinds of moments are pretty cool. Uh, but in general, I feel like if you want to actually know what's going on, don't go to the thing. Yeah. Uh, stay at your computer and and watch it all happen yep. live. Yeah, Robert but, will be able to mute all the dubstep that comes on during the yeah. intermission. <laughs> yeah, Robert, I'm, I'm really looking forward. I, 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 it's too bad you won't uh, be going to those things because I always liked your critique of all of the uh, pre-roll music <laughs> that they would play in the stadium because you always had you always had some quibble about what was going on. So that's uh, that's a tradition that I this let year. me DJ Treehouse and I'll yeah. be happy. Yeah, <laughs> I think for me, uh, what I what I pretty much want to see out of E3 is uh, I. I I really want to see what they do with the Super NES Classic Edition because I, I feel it in my bones. I think this is probably when they're going to announcement or announce it, and they've already uh, shit canned the NES Classic Edition. Um, so I feel like you know they're just making room in that pipeline for the SNES Classic, and I'm I'm curious to see what they actually end up putting on there. Because the Super Nintendo has been one of those systems that you know I've been super passionate about. I mean, it got me into gaming. So I mean, I'm 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 more more than anything else, I'm looking forward to seeing how many games they put on it that I don't already have, if any. <laughs> um, and for the sake of everybody that will end up buying it, they fucking better pay Square Enix to put Act Racer on there. That game is fucking spectacular, and people need to play it. Um, uh, let's see. As far as the Nintendo stuff goes... Um, I actually um, like the sequel, I think, hmm? a little bit more. I think I like the sequel a little bit more. ActRaiser 2. Yeah, ActRaiser 2, the ActRaiser inning. Yeah. <laughs> for, I, for me, it's Chrono Trigger, or, not, or I won't buy. Yeah. 
I have the DS version, and because every time I see the cartridge, it is just ninety something dollars or a hundred and something dollars. It's just ridiculously expensive. But knowing Squeenix, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, they did have the original Final Fantasy on the NES Classic Edition, so I mean, there is a precedent that they could have something on the Super NES Classic Edition as well. But I'm not going to necessarily hold my breath. Um, as far as the rest of Nintendo goes, I'd, lo- I'd like to see what they do that is for the Switch that is 100% new. I- I'm expecting to see, you know, the, the Smash 4 port. Uh, I-, I don't know, dude. Remember that thing you said just a minute ago about not holding a breath? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You, m- you might want to not hold your breath on this one either. Uh-oh. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm what you could What you could look forward to is more Wii U ports. I bet, yeah. I bet we'll I bet we'll hear about a bunch of those. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking we're gonna definitely hear something about the Smash Four port, uh, possibly Mario Maker. It seems like that's one of those titles that they could either go full fledged sequel with, or they could just go just like an iterative port or whatever. So uh, I actually have a question for you. Speaking of Smash Blue, personal mm-hmm. personal question: You, Eric Blue Swim, you are Nintendo right now. Yes. Are Are you going to <laughs> Uh, are are you going to put the effort into making a brand new Smash game or are you going to port the the Wii U version and ride on that you know knowing that if you build a new one from scratch you you know knowing what happened with Mario Kart 8 yeah yeah right well that's Um, true like they do they have to like I don't know that they do yeah exactly I mean I think there's I, I think if um I, I think with Smash, you have the potential to do like the Ultimate Edition or the Gold Edition because you had a lot of the DLC characters out there, you know, uh, Lucas, Bayonetta, uh, Cloud, and you know, stages for them as well. And you know, that stuff was never released physically, so you have that potential to bundle everything together. And people that didn't buy all of the DLC, like me would view, you know, a Switch port, if I ever got a Switch, as, you know, a, a nicely packaged uh, product and good potential to uh, pick it up. I'd be surprised if they did not announce that at E3. Yeah, I, I feel like if, of all the predictions that I wrote down, I feel like that one is a lock. <laughs> and there were, I'm not sure if it ever turned out to be confirmed as fake or not, but there were some... Uh, pictures of like a Switch version of Smash actually running on the unit or something to that effect, and people weren't sure whether it was you know faked or whatnot. But I know there are pictures out there, and I'm not sure if they're real or not. But if they are, you know that's definitely got to be announced. At I, I think that Mario Kart 8 showed that it was a fairly easy effortless port um, to take from the Wii U to the Switch, because that was out at uh, launch. People were playing that, you know, as far as the demos and everything, so that was playable. And so I I would be really surprised if we didn't see Smash Brothers for Switch. Yeah, I kind of think, I mean, and and not just just Smash Brothers, but the previous Smash Brothers, I guess. So so I guess my thrust of this line of questioning was, are we really going to be looking for original new things, or are we going to expect basically everything that didn't sell on the Wii U, which is sort of everything to be ported? Pretty much. You know, I mean, the Wii U had some fantastic games on there, but 
because it was the Wii U. People didn't play them. I, I would love to see in, Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Yeah. I That'd mean, that's awesome. one game that even that I wanted to play, but I didn't pick it up because, you know, it was on the Wii U, and I just wasn't playing it that much. But, but with, you know, the Switch, I mean, it's hot. I mean, I've only seen it on the shelf once, and I went back the next day, and every unit I, that, that I saw there was gone. I mean, I just just one time on the shelf. I haven't even touched the system. It's like, this this thing is hot. And, you know... It, it, people people want it, so it makes sense to put these games that people probably didn't play because they were on the Wii U on the thing that's actually selling pretty well. You guys ready for trivia? Trivia. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So today's trivia theme is games that are coming out during E3, a.k.a. you've been sent to die. So is yeah, the majority... Well, we'll never see <laughs> Yes, so the majority of uh, press and uh, gamers have their eye on Los Angeles on the 12th through the 15th. These games are bravely sneaking into store shelves and digital marketplaces. <laughs> bravely. 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 More foolishly. <laughs> take your pick. Yeah. So first up is The King of Fighters uh, 14, a game that made its way into PS4s last year, and strangely will be heading to Japanese arcades later this summer. But this week, PC owners get to play the SNK title. So for our first question, I'd like you to identify the fighter who is not in the game. Oh Ready? Art of Fighting's Robert Garcia. A. B. Fatal Fury's Terry Bogard. C. Fatal Fury and King of Fighters, my Shiron Wee. Or D. Fatal Fury Batty, Geese Howard. So my Shiron Wee has to be in it. I don't think she would not be. That would be weird. I think uh, she's in the demo. Okay. Uh... I don't even know who Robert Garcia is. He sounds like somebody from The Grateful Dead. Uh, <laughs> That's Jerry. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. Jerry Garcia. Jerry, uh, yeah, my favorite, my favorite Ben and Jerry slaver. Uh, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just pick Robert Garcia just because, like, I'm ignorant. So <laughs> that's my choice. I'm, I'm torn between Garcia and Geese. I feel like Geese is probably one of those names that Geese. It's too big not to put in a King of Fighters game. So, so but, I, but, I, but for some reason I thought they killed him off in one of the games. Um, God, I hate it when fighting games kill off characters. Yeah. I mean, you're just going to bring them back the next, the next game, you know it. And they only got KO'd. They'll be okay. Yeah. Devil Gene. What's <laughs> um, your answer? Uh, my answer is uh, I'll go with uh, Garcia as well. Correct answer. Geese, Howard. Oh, oh should have oh, thought harder about that. <laughs> I so talked quite, myself into it and then out of it. Damn it. So number two, King of Fighters 14 boasts 16 three-member teams from around the world. Identify the region that does not have its own team. A, Mexico. B, China. C, United States. Or D, South America. Wouldn't it be funny if the answer was the United States? <laughs> Uh, what was the first one? Mexico. 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 I'm trying to... Uh, Mexico. <laughs> I, I'm trying to recount my King of Fighters knowledge, because I played 13, and... I mean, there's got to be a China team, isn't there? Is Robert Garcia from Mexico? <laughs> no asking questions. 
No, okay, all right, all right. I'm shaking the eight ball. Um, I, I think I'll go with Mexico. I was going to go with Mexico. Uh, you said South America was one of the choices, right? Yes. Was that C? That was I'm going to go with South D. I'm going to go with South uh, America. Correct answer. You guys row for two. United States. Oh, my God. What? Yes. What? I can't believe boycott this game. <laughs> Number three. Hey, King of Fighters great again. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> Super Dimension Neptune versus Sega Hard Girls is a crossover game between the Hyper Dimension Neptunia and Sega Hard Girls franchises that takes place during four different gaming eras. Identify the one not depicted in the game. A. The Sega Master System era. B. The Mega Drive era. C. The medieval-themed Sega Saturn era. D. The industrial-themed Game Gear era. Or E. The modern Dreamcast era. What does modern Dreamcast era mean? So Dreamcast does that mean like modern at the time of Dreamcast, or it's modern but it's it's ooh la la ish. I see. (laughs) So like '60s retro modern. Right, okay. Uh, I am just slightly, slightly familiar with the Sega Hard Girls. Um, <laughs> I want to say Dreamcast is probably going to get represented. Um, I feel like Game Gear probably would get forget or forgotten or lost in the shuffle because everything else was home console, wasn't it? I, I feel like the, the mix of Game Gear and Medieval is a little weird. So I, that's the one that I felt like was the odd duck. Game Gear for me as well. Correct Come answer. Sega Master System. Son of oh, a... crap! <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Next question. One of, the, one of the Sega Hard Girls is a co-protagonist of Hatsumi Sega. Which of the following attributes is not true for her? Jeremy, I expect you to get this. A, oh, God, no. light blue hair worn in a long ponytail. B, two gold <laughs> bracelets that resemble the rings in the Sonic games. C, red shoes made to look like Sonic s- sneakers. D, a Vocaloid-like voice when speaking. Or E, she suffers from amnesia, only remembering her name. Mm. Hatsumi <laughs> Sega. Um... I'm gonna think, go ahead. I, I think I'm gonna uh, place my chips on the Vocaloid voice. See, I was thinking that, but then I thought they wouldn't give her some weird Sonic the Hedgehog shoes because that would just take all of the sexiness out. So I'm going with the shoes. Correct answer: Vocaloid voice. Ooh, I actually one. got one you know right. What? I'm I'm glad to take to take that bullet for blue. Yeah, at least someone can survive. <laughs> someone will survive this challenge. <laughs> Next question this week, Cars 3. I'll live for the both of us. This week, Cars 3, driven to win, races for the checkered flag alongside the opening of the Disney film. With Avalanche Studio closed by Disney last year, who is developing the title? A, Avalanche Software, courtesy of Warner Brothers. B, Rainbow Studios, makers of the first Cars game. Z, Zoe Mode, developer of Disney Sing It. D, Zoe Quinn of Depression Quest fame. E. Way Forward Technologies, creator of DuckTales Remastered. I know the answer to this one. 
and I'm going to keep my mouth shut. No, this, you go first, Blue. You this do it. was Damn. this was the one I uh, told you about, Blue. <laughs> um, Jeremy, I said you were I, going to blurt out the answer. No, I, I'm I'm playing it close to the vest because I want Blue to go down this time. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> Strategy. Um, I know they brought back Avalanche, and I think it was via Warner Brothers. Uh, I remember hearing about that. Um, I I don't know. Um, I, I, what about that? I'll just I'll toss my my chips behind A. That is the correct answer. Yay! I win. Correct answer was Zoe Quinn. I'm yeah, right. <laughs> you go to Next. hell, Robert. You go all the way to hell. <laughs> Come with me. Number six, our last final question. This week also sees the re- release of Mighty Gunvolt Burst, a crossover title that offers characters from the Azure Striker Gunvolt and Mighty Number no. 9 games. Who is the publisher of this title? Is it A, Capcom, B, Deep Silver, C, NT Creates, or D, Yacht Club Games? Now, is it cheating if I grab the Mighty Number no. 9 case that's sitting right in front of me? You can do that. I'll allow it. Because I actually found... uh, hmm? Yeah, an explanation is necessary while you own that game. (laughs) I found it at a thrift store for $2. That's not bad. Yeah, that's basically about how I find everything nowadays. If you check thrift stores, you can find some amazing shit. Um... Let's see. That'd Deep be... Silver was the publisher on Mighty Number no. Nine, um, which means it probably is not Deep Silver because it would be too easy if I guessed Deep Silver. Um, uh, what was B? That was a lot of work. Deep Silver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn it! <laughs> um, All you've been saying is Deep Silver, so I'm going to take that from you, Blue. Okay, fine. I'll lock it in. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Whatever you want. <laughs> Jeremy knows uh, this one because he's being quiet again. I can tell. <laughs> I am uh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, um, I will. Uh, what the hell? I'll just. Uh, I'll blurt out a letter, a letter and say C. Okay. NT creates Jeremy. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that this I can is fly. the. Yeah, I believe I can fly. Uh, this, I, I, I'm pretty sure this is the um, freshman outing for Yacht Club Games as a publisher of games, so I'm going to go with D. Yes, but incorrect. They also put out the two-pack of the Azure Striker Gunvolt. Boo! Wait, so was I right or wrong? <laughs> you were right, but wrong. It's yes, the inaugural for the offering. wrong reasons. I accept it. <laughs> it's their American, second game. I accept being right for the wrong reasons. If you liked what you heard, you will probably love what we write. You can find Jeremy Lamont at Jeremy underscore Lamont or via on the Twitter? game... Yes, on, on the tweeters. Or the via the, the Game Bites podcast. Blue That's Swim. Right, yeah. Is at Blue Swim and uh, he's on the YouTubes, right? Blue Swim TV. Blue you can Swim check TV. me out. I do toy reviews and unboxings, and I'm trying to sit down right. and get stuff set into motions, so or I can maybe do like something several days a week, uh, just a solo audio show of some sort. What, what uh, happened to the Shima Pan reviews? Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Anyway, I am at... Not enough cotton. <laughs> yeah, or too much. I am at uh, tech underscore gaming. So you can find
find me there, as well as the site. Excellent say, very nice. この